Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season one of Search Party. Damask Leary, how are you, my good friend? I am good. I was very busy today, so I'm a little flustered, but other than that, I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I have been fighting a bit of a loogie. Just sort of it's, getting through. I had a day off work today, which was a nice. gross word. Loogie, yeah, I know. It's a very Australian word, I think, as well. Um, so, if I do sound a little bit nasally, if I am a little bit flat today, I'm going to try and keep my energy levels up, but apologies in advance for that. Mm. Um, but I am very excited for this week's episode. I think we have a lot to talk about. Um, both including Search Party, which we'll review and go in deep with, and also uh, for other topics. Speaking of, let's get into Off Topic Hot Topic. Off-topic, hot-topic. That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off-topic, hot-topic is the part of the show where we just talk about things that aren't whatever we're reviewing this week. Um, We like to start off, off off-topic, hot-topic, with some Brian Fuller Watch, which we try to do every week. We Mm -hmm. actually forgot to do it last week. We did have something, so I'm going to bring it up this week instead. Last week, if you listened to the show, you might remember we talked about Roseanne being cancelled. Yeah. Well, not long after that, Brian Fuller tweeted... And sort of pitched a pushing Daisy's revival to replace Roseanne on ABC, which oh, got mate, some people let it go. very <laughs> excited. His tweet reads, not to be opportunistic, but if you're itching to fill that Roseanne slot with another former ABC network show, dot, 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 and with it a picture of uh, pushing, pushing Daisy's like promotional shot, yeah. um, which got you know the internet talking a little bit, which I thought was pretty cute. Uh, <laughs> so that's the latest in Brian Fuller Watch. Doesn't have anything on, the, on his tape plate at the moment, as far as I can tell. He's mm. left every other project, so... <laughs> <laughs> Why not just revive Pushing Daisies, I guess. I uh, love that he's gotten to the point that he's so desperate that he's just kind of reaching out on Twitter to remake his old shows. That's that, great. Well, he might just be feeling out, you know, just putting things out there, seeing mm. what, you know, people want. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe if he tries hard enough, people will want to do Dead Like Me again one day. Oh, fuck off. I'd be interested in a remake of Dead Like Me if they actually had an idea of where they were going and, like, Maybe George was a good character. Like it's not Why a bad concept. Why do you expect that, that in the reboot if it's not there in the original? If it's still being made by Brian Fuller. Yeah, good point. Good point. But he, remember he got kicked off after like six episodes, whatever it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, those six weren't great either, were they? <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, got some headlines for us. The first one um, today on the day of recording. Uh, Orange is the New Black Season 6 has been given a release date of mm. July 27, which is exciting because we have re- reviewed 
in quick succession, the original five seasons of Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. We smashed it out. We, we smashed sm- it out. Probably, I wouldn't suggest people do it that way, but yes, we, <laughs> we did smash it out. Which, mm. I'm just looking ahead... This makes for a very crowded next couple of months for us. I know. I'm stressing about it already. To We've be got Westworld to talk about, Glow Season 2, Handmaid's Tale Season 2, Orange is the New Black Season 6. There's a lot of good television coming up mm-hmm. around other things. I'm excited, but also a little bit daunted by the whole thing. But yeah. I'm absolutely daunted by it. I keep thinking like, oh shit, I've got to catch up on some Westworld and some Handmaid's Tale so I don't have to binge them in one week. But also my week is already so full of watching the show that we're doing week to week that it's just like, I'm so overwhelmed. Well, I've sort of given us shows that are at least like this week, Search Party is only like 10 episodes at 20 minutes each. I've Mm. given you some opportunity. We're doing Search Party again, season two possibly coming up. Killing Eve is not that big. Yeah, we'll see about that, buddy. We'll We'll see about that. Glow, theoretically, is not that big either. Yeah. But then, yeah, yeah Handmaid's Tale, uh, Orange and New Black, pretty big yeah. shows. Just I'm so you know. I'm also working on an upcoming project, which makes me have to watch a bunch of films as well. So, that is taking up a lot of my free time. So, while I appreciate you giving me a bit of leeway with these short series, it has not worked out well for me. <laughs> sure. You found other ways to fill that time. That's yeah, always the problem. I've got to tell you, I just want to put this out there, just because I'm feeling a bit good about this. I've mm. been... Given God of War to play. It was a birthday gift from Kyron Morrison and, and Joel McDonald of the Dollar Options podcast. I haven't even started it yet. Because I've <gasps> got to be working on other stuff, right? Got to mm. be... I haven't... I need to watch The Handmaid's Tale Season 1 before I watch The Handmaid's Tale Season 2. So, Oh, my goodness, Brian. Yeah, I know. Yeah, i gotta, I got to get on that pretty soon. I'm scared for you. <laughs> mm, me too. i got to get on that real soon. Um, in other news, this was a, sort of a week, and it's probably still going. I'm not sure. The last couple of days has been a trailer dump for movie... Um, trials. I don't know if you've seen all of these. There's been a lot, Just though. a huge steaming dump. Yeah. There's been heaps. There's um, highlights for me, Wreck-It Ralph 2. Have you seen the trailer for that? I didn't With- even know that was a thing. What? Oh, Wreck-It uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, I think it's called, Wreck-It Ralph 2. Oh, my you definitely, goodness. You definitely need to check this out. Maybe between okay. this and our next segment, you should try it, check it out just to see, because I think you will enjoy at least one large chunk of... Uh, of that trailer. I think it might be up your alley. Okay. Um, there was... I assume it's just full of lesbianism. Is that what's happening? Well. Um... Oh, <laughs> that's not the response. I you might be surprised. Um, Lego Movie 2, um, the second part, <gasps> Ooh, has a cool. trailer as well, um, which I thought looked pretty good. It's got a very Mad Max Fury Road vibe to it, which was not what <laughs> I was expecting. I'm dead set serious. Yeah, Not cool. even All kidding. Right. Uh, Bumblebee, the Transformers spin-off. Have you seen this trailer at uh, all? No, but I noticed on like Twitter that Jolly Mac from Dialogue Options and you were both kind of shocked that you liked it, which was also shocking to me to hear. But it, no, I haven't watched it. It does legitimately look like it might be good, which like the Transformers movies in the past have have given me false hope. Um, but usually it's because it just looks like insane action. I'm like, oh, yeah, that might be fun to see. This focuses on uh, the relationship between Hayley Steinwell, I think is the name of the actress from Edge of Seventeen, then a few, and I think she's in Pitch Perfect as well, mm-hmm. and um, that movie True Grit. Oh, she's great in that. Um, she is amazing in that, yeah. Yeah, and the Bumblebee character, they, it's very much looks like they're going to make it a girl and her robot alien car. Movie, if that makes sense, like a boy classic genre, classic Seriously. genre. But like you know, a bit of Iron Giant in there, a bit of like yeah. How to Train Your Dragon sort of thing. Definitely got the they they're concentrating on that, which it feels mm-hmm. like it's centered around good. that emotional core. That's a good start. Bumblebee looks 
great. And I don't mean that like the digital effects convincing. I mean, he looks like a car that's turned into a robot, not a car that got ripped into a million different particles and then put together as a robot like the old ones did. <laughs> yeah. There seems to be... It's directed by the guy or the people who directed Kubo and the Two Strings, which I fucking loved. Oh, I, do I still have your copy of that? I'm Probably, sure yes. Yeah. You should definitely watch it because it's excellent. <laughs> I um, borrowed it like six months ago. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to get around to doing that so I can give it back so I can watch it again because I really want nah. to, but especially because I really liked it. And so, all these elements are making me go, against my better judgment, I actually am kind of excited for this movie. So, that comes out in end of the year. Looking forward to okay. that. All right. I'm 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 cautiously optimistic about that one, and the big one for you and I mm-hmm. is they've released the first full sort of proper trailer, not a teaser, but proper trailer for Mortal Engines. Which I'm going to guess a lot of people don't really know what Mortal Engines is, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's I- something. It's another sort of go at a YA fantasy sci-fi movie, right? Think about yep. your Hunger Games. Or your is it the maze or the the maze runner? I think it was maze runner. I think yeah, yeah. Ender's game, those sorts of things. It's sort of in that genre. Um, it comes from a series of books, four books in the original sort of run um, from an author named Philip Reeve, which we both read when mm-hmm. we were in high school. But all four books, Mortal Engines, um, the first of this four part uh, sort of series, um, is a, a book we both really enjoyed. In fact, we enjoyed it so much. We've often talked about, like, we should write a script for this movie yeah, because we feel like this would translate great to the big screen. A little ways back, years ago now, we found out that Peter Jackson had bought the rights to the to the book to turn to a film. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the right way, he is now producing this film. It's written by him and Fran Walsh um, and ostensibly being made, I think, in New Zealand probably. And so, we've been excited but a little bit uh, cautious about our enthusiasm for this movie, hoping to see something that would excite us. So, the trailer, first full trailer came out yesterday, Damask. What was your immediate mm. reaction to this trailer? Um, to put it lightly, fury, I think. <laughs> it's probably accurate. I was both very angry and very, very upset by what I was seeing. Could you, could you explain to our <laughs> lovely audience what made you so disappointed and, and furious at this trailer? Um, it was the representation of one of the most interesting female characters I had ever read, uh, particularly in young adult fiction. It's the character of Hester Shaw, Mm -hmm. um, one of the two main characters from the story, Mm -hmm. who is, in the book, horrifically scarred to the point that it is almost hard to look at her. Can can I read out just a little passage from the book which describes how she looks? Please do. It comes from very early in the book. It's not a spoiler. It's, it's It's kind of a tiny reveal, but it really is just the setup for the story. This happens, uh, the main character of Tom uh, sees her for the first time, her face. She was no older than Tom, and she was hideous. A terrible scar ran down her face from forehead to jaw, making it look like a portrait that had been furiously crossed out. Her mouth was retched sideways in a permanent sneer. Her nose was a smashed stump, and her single eye stared at him out of the wreckage, as grey and chill 
as a winter sea. So they really paint this picture of just how deformed she is. This scar that Mm -hmm. she has running through her from whatever caused it, you do find out in the book, obviously, has basically split her face in two, completely Mm -hmm. ruined her nose, taken out one of her eyes, and has left her mouth in this weird sneer. Yeah. How does she look in the trailer for uh, Mortal Engines, Damask? She's beautiful. Yeah. She is. There's no other way to describe it. She is beautiful. She does have a scar. Um, that runs across her cheek and kind of down to her chin, but goes nowhere yeah. near her mouth, her nose, her eye, no. or does anything to disfigure her general look. No. I read on Twitter someone wrote with like a picture of the character in the film saying that it looks like she just has a piece of hair that's like caught across her oh, face. Totally. That's what it looks yeah. like. Yeah. And it's so upsetting to me that they have done this. Like I, I when I saw it, because you sent it to me this morning, I watched. I, I watched it and immediately had to go. Oh, Damas is gonna fucking have mm. a lot to say about this. So I woke up immediately, like as you do. I check my phone. I have a message from Broad. It's the Mortal Engines trailer, and I just wrote back, "I'm scared to watch this." So mm. I didn't watch it for like you know. I got up, had my coffee, had my breakfast. Um, cause I knew I was going to have a reaction to it and was I was there, worried. Was there any clues in the way I sent you anything? Like, was there? No, you I, just, no, you just I, sent I me the video. I didn't even send, I didn't send this damn thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it was just the video. And I was yeah. so worried cause I was like, this story is really important to me. Um, but I don't want to sound like I'm one of those people that feels like I have ownership of the story. I don't sure. think, I don't think that's how I feel at all. But it was really important for me and is really important for me. Um, and I think one of the more amazing elements of this story is that it is about a young woman who is so horrifically scarred and traumatised from things in her past um, that we immediately, and we do, the readers, um, and also a lot of the characters within the story, see her as a villain, see mm-hmm. her as unlovable and through the story we learn that the problem actually doesn't lie with her it lies with us it lies with what we value and so to remove that element by making her beautiful by making it seem as though her story is only worthy to tell if it is pleasurable to look at her is really 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 fucking disturbing to me and today I was, you know, I've been thinking about it all day because I, mm. I really am quite upset about what they've done. Sorry, I'm actually quite upset about it. Yeah. Um, I remember I was in high school and I had a friend who had, um, <clears throat> she had a scar on her face and, you know, it was nothing big or dramatic like the character of Hester Shaw's is. But she had a scar on her face. And I remember once we went to a friend's and they just mentioned the scar and, you know, how like, oh, it's actually kind of cool because like Joaquin Phoenix has like a scar as well. And like, but even just the simple mention that she had this scar on her face, like you could just see how diminished she was by it because mm-hmm. it is made to be so important for women, particularly that we are beautiful, that it it is pleasurable to look at us. And the weight of that, like, 
builds up. And obviously, like, I have not experienced that. I, you know, not to brag, but I'm okay to look at and I pass through the world very easily. I'm white. I might be queer, but I pass as a straight person. Like, I live a very easy life and I'm very aware of that. But I also know and have experienced in watching other people, other women around me, how much we are told that our stories are only important if we're beautiful. And it just fucks you up. And to see like such an important character to me, and I think to a lot of young women, altered in this way sends such a toxic message and such a blatantly toxic message. I just think it's really dangerous and I'm really upset by it. Sorry, I didn't mean to get so emotional. No, I think I think you're hitting on something really important there though, which is that like I don't want to I don't want to come in here and make this sound like the way going, oh, this is not like I can remember when Harry Potter came out and going, oh, Harry's not how I thought he would look or Ron's not lanky like he's meant to be in the in the books or Hermione doesn't have buck teeth. And those things, you know, can be important to different people on different levels, mm. I think. And that's fair enough. But this isn't us going, you know, this isn't how I imagine Hester to be. I could talk about how I think Hugo Weaving is probably a good fit for the role of Valentine, but I mm-hmm. think Tom doesn't look like how I imagined Tom at all. But that doesn't bother mm-hmm. me so much. The Hester thing, it is so essential to her character. Yes. And to alter that or to diminish that in the way that they have, they seem to be in this movie, is to completely misunderstand the yeah. character and the story. And it makes you... Like, before I've seen the movie, and it's... Obviously, trailers are trailers. They aren't the movies, but it's meant to represent the movie. Mm. And I am, as someone who is a fan of this story, of these books, and a fan of that character, much like you are, this is a complete betrayal of what that character is meant to be about. And it's it's just completely missing the point. It's I kept um, sort of saying, this is like if you had Lord of the Rings, but the Hobbits weren't short. Like, <laughs> the, the point of the Hobbits is they're meant to be little people who aren't able, who should not be able to do what they do. Mm. It is essential to Hester Shaw's character and to the themes of the book that she has been made to be hard to look at and that people, the way they, that she has had to react to the world because the way the world reacts to her has been Mm -hmm. altered because of this. And without that, I don't even know what the story is about anymore because sure, like, and on another level, if you want to look at that trailer, they've definitely the CGI for the moving cities and the whole idea of like municipal Darwinism, all the stuff that's in the books. Yeah, they've got that great. London looks great. All that stuff's going to be fantastic. It's going to look really nice. They've fucked up the absolute heart and core of this already. And I'm so disappointed because I want uh, it to be yeah. great. I mean, I think it's also so upsetting to me because I love story. I love film and television and I understand the importance of representation. Mm. I mean, stories are in our DNA. They're the things we tell ourselves privately just to make sense of the world. Like it is an essential part of who we are and it allows us to feel empathy and love for other people and to take the story of a horrifically disfigured girl who has been thrown aside by the world because she is horrifically disfigured and there is no place for her to belong to then also do that within the in the film in the way that the film is made is so horrible to me to do that to 
anyone who is living outside those strict structures that say this is what is an acceptable person this is the kind of person that deserves our time our empathy our love and if you don't fit in that then we're not interested in hearing your story yeah and for them to do that with this story is heartbreaking it is it is a hundred percent agree with you it is a huge betrayal and i'm fascinated to hear what the filmmakers have to say for themselves to explain mm. this huge discrepancy because I don't think there's anything they could say yeah. that could justify because exactly what you're saying it just the whole point of this character has been thrown out and is actually it's such a betrayal it's yeah. I'm it's down really for different interpretations of different things of artistic license I'm totally down for it but I find this damaging that's my issue with it it's not simply someone has a different idea of the character. I think the change is actually damaging to a lot of people and sends a really toxic message. A hundred percent agree. Um, I thought we could rant about this for a while. Um, <laughs> do you want to move on? Are you okay to move on to something else? Or anything yeah, else no, I'm exhausted that? already. Let's okay. move on. <laughs> cool. Speaking of representation, though, I suppose, um, mm. I did want to talk about um, Queer Eye, um, the reboot um, we've been able to get an early look at that, which has been really nice. I've been watching the first few episodes of season two, um, mm. and I'm. Have, did you watch much of season one? You watched some of it or all of it? I can't remember. Um, I watched some of it. I didn't watch all of it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so the season two is coming back um, very soon. I think at the end of the month um, to Netflix, and I'm happy to say if you like season one, there's a good chance you're going to like season two. It is very mm. much more of the same. Um, get your tissues out. You're going to cry pretty much in every episode for good reasons. <laughs> Happy tears. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a lot more of the same stuff. Um, I've only watched three episodes of the eight that are going to be available. Um, but the first one um, has a really interesting one. They're actually doing a makeover with uh, uh, a Christian black woman um, in a town called Gay, actually, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think they enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, which definitely uh, got the tears going. That was really nice. The second one is an, a normal sort of one of their straight white guy that they sort of do a lot of. Um, but by the end of that one, my girlfriend who was watching it with me was a fucking mess. She she was <laughs> completely gone by that one. Um, so if you enjoyed that sort of feel-good, uplifting, um, bring your tissues because you're going to be have, have happy tears sort of thing from season one, Season two absolutely feels like it's going to be the same thing. It also occurred to me, this season two of Queer Eye, these eight episodes come after the first eight, which released in February, which means it's been about four months since the first season came out, which means there's a good chance we're going to get another four episodes, sort of by October-ish, sort of, before the end of the year. I really like this idea. If you're going to release like these eight episode chunks, mm. like three times throughout the year and just sort of put it out like that over that period of time. That's a really cool distribution yeah, no, model, I, like I think. That. Particularly for a show like that, where it's like you can just like watch them one at a time or you can like, you know, do do the eight or whatever. Like it's, yeah, I kind of like it coming out throughout the year. That's yeah, nice. we've sort of just been watching them like when we've had dinner, we've just watched an mm. episode and then, you know, maybe the next day or the day after we'll do the same thing. And then so get we'll get to the end of that and look forward to more and then it won't be too long until the next lot comes out, which will be cool. Yeah. Damas, did you have anything you want to talk about today as well? Um, so I watched some Kimmy Schmidt, the latest season. Well, it's half a season that they've released. Yep. Um, came out. I think it was six episodes and I loved it. <laughs> I, I oh, mean, cool. I've always been a fan of Kimmy Schmidt. 
Um, it's just like a fun little thing to watch. Like it's so full of joy and yep. hope. It's it's really a really cute, wonderful show. Um, and this was kind of, I suppose, how you watch Queer Eye. I would, you know, get home from work and, you know, eating dinner. This is the show I would watch and have yep. a giggle. I laughed out loud at least like six, seven, eight times an episode. And, you know, they're half half hour episodes. It's so funny to me and it's so sweet and I love it. It just has such a big heart. And I think this season, I loved the first season, um, but this first half of, I think it's the fourth season, it's fantastic. Though if you're not a feminist, you'll fucking hate it. Because <laughs> it definitely has a clear message this season. Right. Uh, but, I, but I'm down for it. And while some people might think it's heavy handed, I don't think so. I think it perfectly fits within the show about a woman kind of discovering herself when she is being infantilized um, by a man who, you know, held her captive for a long time. It's it's cool. Oh, very cool. So have mm. you been a fan of the series the whole way through, really? Yes. I mean, I, I waned a little bit. Um, I think in like season two and three, like I watched them, but I wasn't like a huge fan. I just found them enjoyable, something I would watch whenever I had the time. Um, but this season has really reinvigorated my love for it. Yeah, I've heard that sentiment from a few other people. Cam, mm. who was on the show briefly, has really said that this season seems to be less about the story in some ways, more about just like the joke ratio per minute. And it's really high this season. He's found it really like just Super letting high. the cast just do their <laughs> thing and be hilarious, which is yeah. I, I think is is enticing. I haven't gone back to after season one. I enjoyed season mm-hmm. one but heard some mixed things about season two. And just in a, you know, when you're surrounded by so much stuff, it mm. sometimes you just go, oh, I'll get back to that later and never yep. do. I um, think you could uh, at least watch, I think, season three and four because there's some things that happen at the end of season four that you probably need to be aware of. Right. Um, yeah, but particularly with the character of Lillian, but otherwise, I think you'd, you'd probably, I mean, you'd probably catch on pretty quickly. I don't think it would be a bad thing. Again, like you said, how you've been watching it to go back and watch season two, three that way as well. Yeah. Um, so, did you say sorry, that six episodes, that's the first half of this season has been released? Yes, that's do, right. Do we know when the second half's going to be released? Oh, my friend told me the other day, it's not, it's a long way away. Okay. And I we think know- something insane like January or something ridiculous or, or maybe like October, but it's going to be a long time. Yeah. Right. And then we know this to be the end of the series, except for maybe a movie I think they've suggested as yeah. well. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Which is, it's interesting when it, when the show's like, you fi- feel like it's being reinvigorated to hear mm. that it's going away, but also part of me always goes in that situation, well, if it's going to finish on top and I've got a fair yeah. amount that I can go back to, that's not too bad. Um, I think so you can- even the way that they frame it at the beginning, it's like this is like this is the show we're doing this season. It, like, it clearly knows what it's doing and you can see kind of what where we're going and that's really exciting because you know that they have a plan and I think it's going to be pretty cool. I mean, I hope it is. That sounds awesome. Mm. Um, so that's on Netflix now. You can watch that? Yes. And I should have said earlier, Queer Eye... Um, season two is available June 15th on Netflix. So look out for that in just a week or two as well. If you're listening to this as we release them, anything else you want to talk about Damask? Um, I mean, the whole world seems to be exploding about the news that Kelly Marie Tran pretty much quit Instagram. She deleted all of her posts. Yes. So Kelly Marie Tran, who played Rose in The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. um, for me personally, was, um, I don't, I, 
I don't love the character, but I certainly... I don't love, sorry, her role in, in the movie necessarily, but I like the character of Rose. I think she's a good mm-hmm. inclusion into the series. I certainly seem to like the actress. She seems really cool. And a genuine fan of Star Wars in a lot of ways as well mm-hmm. um, has basically been bullied to, on Instagram to the point of having to delete her presence on social media. This is pretty fucking gross. That is insane to me. Absolutely insane. Why people feel the need to attack someone personally about a creative enterprise is just bizarre. I mean, we just had a very passionate discussion about representation and Hester Shaw and Mortal Engines. At no point did either of us go like, fuck that actress, let's go bully her online. Oh, because yeah. that the, is an, the last an thing insane, it is is the actress's fault, yeah. No, it's an insane response to yeah. blame that person. Yeah. It's just, it's bizarre. And like, you know, I've spoken about the character on the podcast before in which she doesn't really work for me, particularly her storyline doesn't work for me within the film. And I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the film itself. Um, but once, I, I'm pretty sure even as we were talking about that a, a few episodes ago on the podcast. I, I should let I, you know, Damas, that didn't end up making the podcast because it was going to be over three hours long. So, uh, oh, that discussion got deleted so from the episode. Censorship. I feel like Roseanne Barr right now. Jeez. <laughs> oh, All right. Well, we, we spoke about The Last Jedi and I had yep. rewatched it. And on the rewatch, because I had been confused about my how I really felt about it, I rewatched yes. it. I was like, ah, actually, not for me. But I, I might was add also that, depending open on how long this episode goes for. Depending on how long this episode goes for, I may add that discussion to the end of this episode so people get an <laughs> okay. idea. Because I've kept it because it was a good discussion. <laughs> okay. So if this is if this is not going over long, I'll add it to the end of this episode. Sorry, go on. What you're saying? But yeah, but I as as much as I it didn't really get me the way it reached a lot of people. I am open to those opinions. I don't feel the need to shit on people who do really like it, and I certainly don't feel the need to shit on an actress who is just, you know, using her craft and creativity to be a part of something bigger. Like, it's just, it's fucked up. Like, it, it makes no sense to me, the, the need to do that. It's been, it's been really interesting to watch this happen on Twitter, as you said, because it's sort of like we've hit a breaking point. Because there's been, mm. since The Last Jedi came out, there's been this huge reaction from the people specifically who didn't like it. But then... There's, there's the people who didn't like it, like yourself, sort of, right? And then there's the people who seem to think it's kill, like somehow ruined Star Wars for them. They're taught a lot of them are just being racist or sexist fuckheads. Like yeah, that's course. that's a big part of it, and a big part of the abuse that she's getting. But also, people seem to have taken this on as some sort of fucking war they need to do. They need to be fighting against <laughs> this as though. There, there, there's a battle going on for the soul of Star Wars. I also don't understand the concept of somehow retroactively ruining something. The thing you love still exists. What are you complaining about? Well, this was the big point that I came to, and it was something I had discussion sort of back and forth with um, Lindsay Romain today, who's a writer for Slash Film and a few other things about this. She was really a really good, I thought, um, sort of source of perspective on this mm. um, about how if you don't like something, if you don't like an entry into a series, just you have the power to ignore it. You have the power to <laughs> yeah. choose what matters to you and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like The Last Jedi ruined Luke Skywalker for you or you feel like Rose, for, I don't even understand how, or the actress somehow ruined Star Wars for you, which is fucking insane, 
don't go and start harassing people about this. Don't go out of your way to bully and troll mm. and humiliate and all these sorts of things. Be racist, sexist fuckheads at the creatives involved, especially the actors who it's got nothing to do with them. They just did their fucking job. But if you don't like it, just pretend it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. This is what I did with the prequels for years. Mm-hmm. It's what I did with um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I just choose <laughs> to not worry about it. It's what I did even with Dexter. I enjoy Dexter up to the end of season four. After that, for me, I quit somewhere along. the. I think when Colin Hanks was on it, there's a season there. I was like, this show has gone off the rails for me. So, you know what I did? I just quit. I let my, I let it go. Mm. I just went, this is not going to be able to satisfy me anymore. I just enjoy, I choose to enjoy up to season four. And you know what? I don't have to fucking worry about it anymore. Yeah. It's so easy to do. And the fact that people somehow feel like that because something is canon, that they need to adhere to that, like it's some sort of religious text or it's some, you know, message from God that they that they have to fight it. I don't know what it is, mm. is crazy pants. And people need to learn that you can actually just enjoy the bits you enjoy and ignore the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's people, and this is not certainly not an excuse, um, but maybe it's people who have no other source of self-identifier or self-esteem other than I am a fan of this thing. This This is is who I am, which is so unhealthy. Like, if you are that inspired by something that it has taken over your whole life, maybe make your own thing. You know, use that energy to make your own thing. Write fucking fan fiction. I don't know. Like, put it into something productive. Why do you have to, like, destroy, like, other people's fun? Anyway. No, you're right. It, it, this is – has an, and when I've gotten into these arguments, because I often do get sucked into these things because I'm an idiot like that, I enjoy the I enjoy the fight sometimes, but the – Okay, sometimes all, all the time. You always time. enjoy the fun. I'm, I'm getting better, actually. I've, there's been a few <laughs> times recently where I've written something and not sent it and deleted it instead and just gone, it's not worth my time. I'm just going to block yeah. you instead. But the 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 problem is exactly what you said. They, For some reason, their whole identity they've decided is around this thing. And I think the biggest problem has been the bigger a fandom gets, the more dickheads just end up in it. Not necessarily mm. by ratio, but by number. The qu- the quantity of dickheads, because there's more people in it, gets higher, mm. and those other dickheads find each other, and they get louder <laughs> because of it. And I'm a big yeah. believer that... No, I'm not, maybe this, this is this is actually... I'm not a big believer, but there's this thing, this idea that the nerds won, right? That... Now that we've got Star Wars is huge and Marvel is huge and DC is huge and video games are huge and nerds rule the world, that for a while I was like the meek inheriting the earth. This is going to be good. No. (laughs) All that we did was gave anonymity and a microphone to these fans on the internet, things that were once probably just a couple of friends who were both enthusiastic or enthusiastic about something in a in a comic book store or a basement somewhere having a discussion about who would win out of Han Solo and Boba Fett has since become uh, a movement to them it, mm. they, it, they it's so important to them and they've got this platform to express that and to um not to justify but sort of give the, like Star Wars being big as it is has given them and their entitlement justification for it, I guess, Mm -hmm. has emboldened them and now they've got this weird uh, 
entitlement that's just, it's outgrown to become abusive of anyone who doesn't believe the same things they do, who sees it Mm -hmm. differently. One of the things I found really interesting is how people were talking about 15 years ago, everyone was talking about, who was a fan of Star Wars, inverted commas, was talking about how George Lucas ruined the series by making the prequels. Mm -hmm. Now they're asking George Lucas to come back because we've moved away from his original vision. It's like, Mm -hmm. The, the thing is, there will always be people who are un- unhappy with this. There will always be people who don't like the direction things are going. They'll always find a way to be unhappy because they just want the thing they loved in the first place, the movies they grow up with, and nothing new will ever satisfy them. So they, so it's, it's just don't, guys. Just if you don't mm. like it, move away. Do something yeah. else. I also think if your passion ranty, for something relies on the attention of others, it's probably not really passion. It's probably something else. Like passion for something, it's actually quite a private thing. It's a private enclosed experience when you really, really love something and you're so passionate about it. Like it's a personal relationship with that thing. But if your passion for something needs outward acknowledgement, you're probably looking for some sort of power and that is completely not connected to passion at all. So fuck you guys. Yeah. 100% agree. I feel very sorry for the actress and I hope she can get back on social media sometime soon. I don't know. The thing is, I don't know the answer to this. I don't Mm. know how we fix Star Wars fandom. I don't know if we can. Maybe we just need to forget fandom. Maybe we just throw it in the trash. And unless it's at a convention where people seem to do things really well, Mm. like if you go to like PAX, for instance, there is obviously negative people inside the gamer community, right? But Gamergate people don't seem to show up at PAX. And if they do, they usually get pushed out the door because people don't want them there. That's the in, answer, bro. In reality, and not on the internet, where you can be anonymous and as abusive as you want without any sort of ever having to face the consequences of actually doing it in real life. Mm. It's so different at a convention. <clears throat> so, go. I encourage anyone who's actually a Star Wars fan... If you can go to Star Wars Celebration, go to like nerd conventions and stuff like that. Those are the places for community and fandom. I don't think it exists online as, as well as it used to, especially on places like Twitter and social media and all that sort of stuff. Just yeah, forget it. I think it. if it's we done. each of us have our own, you know, not the idiots, have our own personal set of standards and say, all right, I'm happy to engage in robust conversation with someone about someone and have a debate, that is fine. But as as long as soon as as long as it remains respectful. If it doesn't, you're blocked. You do that, you continue to send out positive messages to those that you appreciate. You add positivity to the conversation as well as do not allow those who are purely negative to engage in the conversations that you were having. And if we all do that together, then maybe we can like self-police a little better. That is actually someone something that's been brought up is the idea that unfortunately what happened was somewhere on the line we decided don't feed the trolls, don't feed the trolls. So mm. people stopped stepping stopped stepping up to trolls. And the thing is people aren't always great at expressing that they like something. I guarantee you there are more people who like um, these actors and these personalities then dislike them. Mm-hmm. But they're not as loud because people feel weird about doing stuff. I highly encourage people, whether they're actors, directors, musicians, artists of any kind, podcasters, writers, whatever, if you like them, reach mm-hmm. out to them and tell them because 
they will appreciate it immensely. And unfortunately, it's so much easier and it's so more common to receive passionate hate from trolls than it is mm. to receive. Not to say yes. that people don't say nice things. Of course they do. But it's the um, the ratio is off just because we feel... Because trolls feel entitled and people who like things, unfortunately, seem to feel a bit weird about that. Or then It's not as forthcoming, I think. Mm. I think you're spot on. Damask, do you have anything else for us today? I do. I've got a reality check. What? what? Reality check. <laughs> All right. Now, today I'm only going to be talking about Southern Charm today because what happened- Sorry, can you please explain to me what Southern Charm is? Oh, I will. I'll get there, my friend. Okay, I'll good, get thank there. Thank you. Because what happened was so disturbing and gross to me that I can't focus on anything else. So, Southern Charm is based in Charleston and it's about like the old school gentry. Um, it's, it's down in the south and everyone talks like this. Um, and this season of Southern Charm, we have the character of Ashley who is dating Thomas Ravenel. And a little tidbit about Ravenel is he's a man in his 50s. He's a former politician who was fired and charged with cocaine possession. That's how he lost his job in, in politics. Now, he has two kids with another one of the cast. Her name is Catherine. She was like 19 when they met, which was like four years ago or something. Um, look, he's an old sexist pig that is a full-on skis. And surprise, surprise, he's been accused of rape. Didn't see that coming. Ooh. Anyway. Anyway, but that is not part of the storyline of this season yet, but who knows. Anyway, so Thomas's new lady, Ashley, of about two months, goes on vacation with the whole gang. And at dinner, she starts attacking Catherine. Now, to be fair, Catherine has had some substance abuse issues in the past. And because of that, she has actually lost custody of her kids, which is heartbreaking for her. And she's spoken about that quite openly. Um, but let's keep in mind that she is... She was incredibly young when she had her kids and was in a relationship with Thomas, who also has substance abuse issues. I think, you know, that's clear to see since he was arrested for cocaine possession. Um, but since she lost her kids, she's, she's done everything she can, she can to get them back. She's sober. She's killing life. All props to Catherine. Anyway, this woman, Ashley, the new woman on the scene... Start. They're having dinner, and she starts going in. She starts calling Catherine a bad mother, saying that she never sees her kids, and when she does see them, they're practically traumatized from the situation. She has full-on crazy eyes. It goes on and on. She is relentless. It's it's actually really hard to watch, and. Normally, at that point, when someone is going in on Catherine, she would decimate them. Like, because she can and she has in the past, she is fully capable of defending herself. Her words, I think, could be described as weapons of mass destruction, but she doesn't. She sits there, clearly upset, but more stoic than anything, as this crazy woman accuses her of terrible things. Catherine is a goddamn saint in that scene, and everyone notices this. All the other women at the table, many of whom years previously hated Catherine, like she was kind of a villain for a little bit there, um, but they all take up her, de her defense. It is beautiful. I loved it. It's, it's quite rare on reality TV when you see women really stand together and stand up for some kind of fucked up gender role bullshit stuff or misogyny that it's very rare when that happens um but it was really lovely to see them all come together 
But I just want to say, fuck Ashley. Like, I hate her. She's an awful person. She's the type of person that says the most vitriolic and evil things while professing to be a good Christian woman, which grosses me out. Her and Thomas are drunken messes throughout the entire episode. Thomas then begins yelling at another female cast member because she has the audacity to stand up for his children's mother. I'm not a psychologist, but this man is, I think to me, clearly a narcissist with anger issues. He's gross. His new girlfriend is gross. And I hope Catherine gets custody of her kids soon because those poor little sausages deserve better. It was just, it was awful to watch, but also awesome because, yeah, like I said, <laughs> I, think I mean, obviously it's, reality television. yeah, it's like high, highly dramatic, but it, I don't know, it was kind of nice to see all these women kind of band together and be like, actually, no we're all aware we're on a reality TV show, but you can't say things like that. Like you can't talk about someone's children and call them a bad mother. Someone who has done a lot of work to get sober and correct their life. It was just fucked up. And it was nice to see um, the ladies take the high ground. Yeah. It was a good episode. Let me tell you that. Cool. I'm going to, I'm going to latch myself onto reality check just for a second. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't watch a lot of reality television at all, but my Mm -hmm. housemates do. Which means really? I'm often in the room when it's on. It's mm. not. It's not. It's well. It's not your sort of reality television, if that makes sense. I don't think. Oh. Okay. It's um. We watch. There's a lot of house rules that's on. Oh. Which is yeah. Which is easy to just to just jump in and judge everyone's like makeovers or it's renovations so and stuff like anyway. that and walk out. Yeah. Not not really for you. The other one is um that's been on a lot has been Love Island. Are you aware of Love Island? Oh. I just don't think I can get down with that much heteronormativity. That's that, that's a hundred percent true. It's extremely mm. hetero. It's, they're all just white. That can be fun though. Um, maybe I'll check it out. Who knows? It's the. It's basically the way to describe it is just it's Big Brother, but with like all extremely attractive people. Like they're all sort of twenty to twenty five fucking swimsuit models is everybody mm-hmm. in that show is mm-hmm. basically which means that mostly they're all boring people but i've got to admit there is a one couple and i don't even know their name i want to say it's like even eden or something that doesn't sound right anyway that that, that paired up really early mm. that are totally into each other mm-hmm. and what's good about them is because they don't have any bullshit between them for the most part she can be a little bit like overly like protective in terms of like if he's talking to somebody too much you can get a little bit but he actually handles it really well like there's there's quite a healthy sort of Ooh, thing going on here interesting which means that they just get to sort of be the audience surrogate and comment oh, on everyone great. else's bullshit so yeah. it's like i enjoy her in particular because she's she's surprisingly funny mm. uh otherwise it's a terrible show it's hosted by sophie monk it's so <laughs> weird well, that's yeah. not weird because she was on The Bachelorette. No, but it's weird because she's not a host. She's so ridiculously bogan and like, <laughs> it's just... That's why she's, you know, she's the people's bogan. You know what <laughs> sure, I mean? Like, she, sure. like everyone loves Sophie. I love her. I think she's great. Okay. This is this is the Australian version of Love Island, which I believe starts in the UK. And now our listeners don't give a damn. Let's start <laughs> talking about or get to our review of Search Party Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Search Party is a TBS dark comedy series about four self-absorbed 20-somethings who become entangled in an ominous mystery when a former college acquaintance suddenly disappears. 
The show was created by Sarah Violet Bliss, Charles Rogers, and Michael Showalter, who is particularly notable as the writer and co-producer of Wet Hot American Summer and its TV continuations, and for his numerous directing gigs on TV and film, including 2016's The Big Sick. The show stars Alia Shawkat, John Reynolds, John Early, Meredith Hagner, and Ron Livingston as Keith, the private investigator. Search Party is available in Australia via SBS On Demand and premiered in the US on TBS on November 21, 2016. Season 1 consists of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 22 minutes and took us approximately 3 hours and 40 minutes to watch. Season 2 is also currently available and on April 23, 2018, TBS confirmed Search Party will return for a third season. So Damask, why did we choose to review Search Party? Well, we were going to do Arrested Development, but then you were really proud of Alia Shawkat for standing up for all womankind, so you mm. wanted to reward her by reviewing her show. That is, that is somewhat true. I'd been mm. keen to do Search Party for a while. I'd heard good things. Um, it was just interesting because Alia Shawkat, I've only really known her from doing uh, Arrested Development. I'd seen her, I feel like I've seen her in like little bit parts in movies here and there. I liked her um, in Whip It. I'm pretty sure she was in Whip It, right? See, I didn't see Whip It, so I don't know about that. It's... It, um, yeah, I was, I was interested in this. I heard good things. The second season was now up on, um, SBS on demand here in Australia. It'd become very accessible to watch it. So it was like when the opportunity came, I was like, let's do it. Let's just do that instead. Cause I'm more excited to try something new than tired old problematic arrest development. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give my thoughts first. I think on this one, usually I, I throw it to you. I'm going to save you up for next. Okay, good. Um, so my general thoughts, my spoiler free review, on season one of Search Party, I think it is an odd mix of extremely watchable yet hard to watch at times. It's got this weird dynamic where it's very easy and yet I kind of am cringing and looking away a lot. I, I sort of compare it. It's almost like Girls, as in the Lena Dunham series, meets Nancy Drew in some ways. Um, it fits the sort of genre of shows about unlikable people like Girls Arrest Development, Always Sunny, Community, etc., etc. It's very fun, often cringy, sometimes exciting, and an, and, a, and a portrait of millennials that I haven't seen a lot of. I mean, they out there, Girls is a good example of that, but it's very much, I think, about people our age as well, on like a um, please like me sort of level as well, if you've mm. listened to our reviews of those. Not that you were on those in the end because you were I was away. There, I was on the last one. Oh, you were on the last one. That's right. I'm glad you were there for that one. Mm. It's tightly written, for, especially from a plot narrative ride what, mm. uh, uh, perspective. Um, and naturally shot. I was actually paying attention to this a lot when I was watching it. The interior stuff, particularly in Dory and Drew's apartment, is very. it feels like it's naturally lit. It doesn't feel like a studio... Very often, I, like, I really like the way that that's sort of shot. Just sort of natural, not flashy, get to the point, but it feels sort of lived in and real. Uh, the performances can be very cartoony at times. It certainly crosses that line here and there, but it manages to ride that line well for the most part, I think. It's a good mix of goofy, silly, and sometimes even observational humor, which is good. It's got a excellent ending. I love, love, love where this arcs to by the end of the season. It's a really good story of its own and could be a fantastic sort of prologue opening chapter to a much bigger story, which I love. And I can't wait for season two. And I really, really want to emphasize something that I love about this show. It's 10 episodes at around 20 minutes each, which is amazing and is a breeze to watch. 
and there is no reason you shouldn't go and search it out right now because it is, it's like, I've been forced to watch so many long-winded television shows where the, the run times are blown out and bloated beyond belief and this is just, just nice and crisp and easy. It's great. Damask, what's your <laughs> spoiler-free review of season one of Search Party? Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm kind of scared to give this review. Some mostly because of the chats we've just had and the fact that I've already had one breakdown this episode. People are going to be like, oh, I think she's in like a really tough spot. That's not the case. I swear I'm fine. I don't think I'm having a mental breakdown. Oh, that's good. Um, but my review is quite different. So this show was a roller coaster for me. Mm-hmm. I smashed through the first four episodes enjoying myself. Uh, I felt like I was on an upward swing. I was ready for it. But then I got to five, six, and seven, and I grew increasingly frustrated. But not only frustrated, I became upset. This show was giving me serious anxiety, and I realize that is a very millennial thing to say and probably something (laughs) that Elliot would say while fanning himself. I am self-aware enough of that. Look, I hate Dory. I think she is so awful. Mm. I feel terrible for Drew. Portia is sweet, but not enough to calm the uneasiness I felt. Uh, Elliot is a straight-up monster. Um, And even though I could understand why the things he was saying would normally be funny to me, his existence just completely stressed me out. And I wish I had more intelligent reasons for feeling this way, but I don't. Like, I had to pause one episode because I was so upset that I just started crying and how mean and selfish everyone was. Yeah. I was also bored of the same conversations taking place. I was sick of people making terrible decisions and then never really learning from them or changing their behavior. It was, for me, it felt like a nightmare or a an anxiety dream where all you want to do is run away and you think you are, but you're actually not going anywhere or you want to scream because something terrible is happening, but nothing will come out of your mouth. Like that's really, truly what it felt like to watch this for me. Like I'll, I'll admit I'm an idealist. I need hope and change in my characters. This show didn't give me that. It felt bleak. Look, I, I can see why, this show is exciting to many people. It's a comedy and a mystery and doing something new, but it is so anti my worldview that it was hard for me to finish. Like, and you say, you know, you're sick of watching bloated things, and I am too, but I would much rather sit through 13 hours of something else, anything else, than have to sit through season one again. Re- like, really, truly, I Whoa. absolutely I never want to watch season one again. This, the show just doesn't speak to any part of me except for the anxious part of me that says the world is cold, no one cares, and nothing means anything. But, and as much as it sparks that anxiety in me, it doesn't tell me anything more about that anxiety. It doesn't make me look at my own anxiety. It just evokes it. And the world of this, of this story isn't one I want to witness, like not for a second. I... Did not like this. I, I, I really, really, really didn't like it at all. Wow. It, it was really hard for me to finish. I didn't want to finish it, to be honest with you. But I had to did, force myself to finish it. Did you, without obviously spoiling this at all, how did you feel about the ending? Because the last episode really 
especially the the, the, la- the last minutes sort of gets mm. to a very important place for these characters in terms of yeah. what they've been experiencing and has a, I think it has, says a lot. Yeah. Did that speak to you at all? Did that alleviate any of that? Did that give you some direction or? I thought the ending was really cool. I could see what, mm. what they were doing was really cool to, I can't, I can't really speak on it too much, but yeah, no, I was like, oh, that's awesome. But I was so disconnected at that point. Sure. That they could have done anything, and I was just like, I'm not interested anymore. Like I, re- I just don't care about these. I want these people to go away. I wow. do not like them. I do not like this universe at all. So that was that was my feelings on it. That's amazing. That's amazing. No, I think that's like I totally, certainly, I can understand where the anxiety come from comes from. I can totally understand your reaction to that because they are awful. Mm. awful people they're not people you do want to spend any time with but the thing is i can watch a show like arrested development or yes a show like that where or always sunny i mean i love always sunny i think it's one of the funniest shows that has ever existed i think it's incredible but i don't watch that and think i am seeing any kind of truth because everything is so heightened that it's okay. I can I disconnect from it in a, like a healthy way, in a way that it's just like, oh, this is just for fun because real world people aren't in here at all. Um, this is not a world that I recognize. But f- this really did feel like a skewed version of my own reality. It felt like a nightmare in that sense. I was like, I hate it. Right. I hate it so much. So mm. is it is it the familiarity to you that sort of is like because because it is like I am familiar with this universe. Mm. But it's such a dark, twisted, nightmarish, gross version of that. It's all the worst parts of this world that I recognize. Yes. Exactly. That just yes. that totally put you off. Yep. It, mm. it what you're saying reminds me a bit of how I feel about Girls, the television show, and one of the reasons I've I've struggled to really watch that at, at, to any real capacity. I've, I think I've seen through to the end of season two and maybe parts of season three, and. Uh, not to the same level. It didn't make me feel anxiety or anything like that, but I disliked the people in that show so much yeah. that I had nothing to connect to to make me want to go back in. I just couldn't like them. And the show, unfortunately, the thing that I didn't like about that show as well is that I, because I didn't like them, I didn't want to be around them, and the show was doing nothing to really um, uh, make them, punish them for being awful people. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. it... They weren't learning. They weren't getting better. Those sorts of things. I found that just, I just exhausted me. I was like, I just don't want to be here anymore. But not to the same anxiety level that you've had. Not even close. Weirdly for Search Party though, I think I sort of saw this as almost a commentary on that. Where it's similarly awful people, but I felt like because of the Nancy Drew weird missing persons thing, it was sort of heightening it to a point that it's kind of ridiculous and, and silly and over the top. Because it gets cartoony, Girls doesn't get cartoony. I found this game cartoony. I find Elliot, as awful as he is, cartoony. I find <clears throat> Keith cartoony at times. I find many elements of the show that I'm not going to get into specifically here cartoony. They mm-hmm. are slightly exaggerated enough for me to not feel like that while I recognize it and I recognize what it's riffing off, mm. it didn't penetrate... Because it, it because it, it it sort of gave it this otherworldly ridiculousness to it, it kept it in a a realm far enough removed that it didn't affect me too hard. I was able to just enjoy it, observe it, still find all of these people and all of the things they're talking about horrible, 
but in, enjoy in the same way that I kind of enjoy The Office, if that makes sense, like the original Office, like mm. the Richard Gervais Office sort of thing. Um, that cringeworthy, just like, oh, these people are awful, but it's funny enough that I could keep up with it. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about The Office, we have... Obviously, the character that Ricky Gervais plays is awful, and there are other awful people within the world, Mm -hmm. but there are other people that are not awful, that are good-hearted, and there is a warmth in there that I can hold on to. So, so I I can handle a story about unlikable people. That Mm -hmm. is, I I really can, Um, but I need to know what we're doing here. And I think because I was so anxious watching it, there probably was a deeper message that I wasn't able to hold on to because I was so disturbed by the behaviour. And like I said, the the characters within the story were not heightened enough for me. I'm talking like the main main group there, the core group, weren't heightened enough for me to be able to see them as being cartoonish. Sure. I... No, <laughs> gay men just like Elliot. I I didn't think Keith was cartoonish really at all. Um, I And I think while as I was walking home today, I was thinking about the show a lot and why I was so disturbed. And it felt like a farce. It did. But with not enough jokes. There weren't enough jokes for me to be like, huh, I'm laughing at this show. There's a bit of relief. I wasn't getting relief from it. I wasn't mm-hmm. laughing because I was so disturbed. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think, funny enough what you're saying, whether there's a deeper meaning or not, the thing is I don't think it reveals itself for a long time. Mm. For a long time, it's not necessarily about anything. It's not until... Probably the third last episode, you start to see it come into view. Certain characters interact in certain ways a bit more, particularly that ending. And I think it gets to a thesis point, which is why I really look forward to season two. Because I, I, I 100% the thing, the way it ends is like, okay, that was your prologue. That was your setup. Gets many of our characters to a place they need to be for the next step of that journey. So, yeah, I don't really know. I think the only thing we can do now is really go into spoilers so we can discuss this more in depth and stop beating around the bush because I think there's a lot of things, specific things to talk about here. I uh, I personally give this season a four out of five. I want to express that I gave Barry a four out of five last season as well, last episode as well. Mm. Um, I think Barry is a better show. <clears throat> it's a high four out of five. It's probably edging on a 4.5 the more I think about it. I've thought about it a lot this week as well. This is a lower 4.5 on the edge of 3.5 sort of thing, but I think it's really good. And if what we're talking about sounds interesting to you, go and check it out. Give it a few episodes. You can always opt out if you're not liking it. Don't be a bully and go and harass the uh, makers and get them off social media. Um, oh, no, I will. I'm sure. <laughs> and and um, check it out. As I said, it's on SBS um, On Demand this season and the second season, which hopefully we'll get to. Well, well, it depends. Maybe Mm. we won't. Maybe that's a discussion we'll have uh, between now and then as well. Um, But yeah, I would recommend it. What would you give it out of five, Damask? Uh, I'm giving it a 2.5. It's not a bad show. I don't think it's bad. I can see why people would like it. It is not for me at all. It made me sad and hopeless. It made me feel like I was being forced to watch 
Watchmen while coming down off MD. Like it was Whoa. just, it made me empty. Did Whoa. not enjoy. I cannot wait to get but to spoilers. But it's not badly made and I think the plot structure is really tight and a lot yeah. of the writing I can see is fantastic. I just did not like the characters at all. And, yeah, it, it wasn't for me. So I'm not giving it, like, a one. It's just a 2.5 for me. It had a very negative impact on you, though, regardless <laughs> yeah, of how well made it was. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool. Let's get to spoilers then. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Search Party. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Search Party up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Story time with Damask. There once was a girl called Dory. She had no purpose until she came across a missing person poster. The girl is Chantal, an old classmate of Dory's. Something is sparked. Dory exclaims to her friends that someone they knew is gone and her disappearance is shrouded in mystery. None of her friends, Elliot the narcissist, Drew the hopeless boyfriend or Portia the vain actress seem too concerned about the incident, other than how they can tweet about it for sympathy. Dory is worried about Chantal, but it isn't until she sees Chantal running for her life at a Chinese restaurant that Dory becomes determined to find and save the girl. She tells her friends about what she's seen, and they feign concern and that they believe her, but they each go on with their normal lives. Dory goes to the police like any normal person would, but she's left frustrated. In the toilets at the station, she runs into Lorraine, a woman that not only knows Chantal, but who also saw her. Lorraine makes it clear to Dory that there is a larger conspiracy at play and that they are all in danger. Dory falls deeper into the mystery, but it turns out that Lorraine is just a mentally unwell woman with a penchant for storytelling. This is only exposed after Lorraine hunts down Dory at Elliot's party, the theme of which is I am super great for surviving childhood cancer. Everyone tell me how inspiring I am. Dory and her friends are rattled by Lorraine, and Dory decides to give up the mission to find Chantal. That is until she looks inside a book that the missing girl left at the restaurant. It has a doodle in it, one that matches her handwriting. So it seems that Dory definitely did see her old classmate, and she isn't crazy like Lorraine. The gang then head to a vigil. It's very awkward, but Dory wants to reach out to the family and tell them that their daughter is alive. Now all of us at home know this is a terrible idea, and all of Dory's friends know this is a bad idea, but she does it anyway. 
Also at the party, Drew meets Chantal's ex. He is a complete psychopath who probably is one of the reasons that Kelly Marie Tran quit Instagram. Now he is number one on the suspect list. So of course, Dory invites him over to dinner and offers her friend Portia up on a plate. Nothing says, I care about the plight of another woman, like sacrificing your female friend to a murder suspect with definite anger issues. Dory gets a whole bunch of emails off of the boyfriend's phone and then reveals to him that she knows that Chantal was pregnant. He says it's not his though, because his ex-girlfriend was cheating on him. Looks like there's another suspect out there. Lorraine isn't the only person who loves following Dory around. There is a man that seems to be watching her every move. He confronts her at a drugstore and when they sit down to have a conversation, it turns out he's a private eye that Chantal's parents hide. Oh, and he loves soup. He really, really loves soup. Dory and Keith, the private investigator, team up. They go to Chantal's apartment where absolutely nothing weird is happening and discover a present, most likely given to her by her secret lover. Dory follows this lead to Ballow and Hare, a cool Brooklyn boutique that is a front for some sort of fertility cult, naturally. Oh, did I mention that Parker Posey is a recruiter of this cult? Well, she is, and based on that fact alone, I would join. Elliot, Portia and Dory are invited to a dinner at the cult. It is very weird and awkward, and seemingly shame-based. That is, if you're a woman. Eventually, the gang are kicked out before some sort of sacred ceremony, which is actually just a woman giving birth on a dirty cement floor. Dory tells Keith about everything she saw, and they go back the next day to steal some of their trash. You never know what juicy clues you might find. When they have their treasure, Keith and Dory discover a check from the same real estate firm that Lorraine claimed to be employed by. A clue! This is so exciting, apparently, that it makes Dory cheat on her boyfriend, who, at the same time, in their apartment, is declining the advances of a woman who is straight out of one of those Nightmare Neighbor episodes on a current affair. Dory feels bad after what she's done, which, good, she should, but not enough to be honest with her boyfriend. Instead, she elicits Elliot to help cover her tracks and they concoct a lie about spending the night at the museum with Ben Stiller. Dory decides to give up the investigation again out of guilt. But after she hits the slightest snag in her life, she decides to get back to her completely selfish pursuit. She goes to see Keith, who has footage of the restaurant. Dory falls asleep because she's an idiot. And once again, Drew is left wondering where his girlfriend is. He won't admit it quite yet but he knows what's happening. Dory did see something important on the security tapes, though. She recognises another classmate who was a Jane Goodall impersonator. The gang go and visit her, but she won't give up Chantal's whereabouts until she has $5,000 to pay for her monkey's Viagra or something. The gang then blackmail a skeezy adulterer. No, not Dory. It's a different one. He hands over $5,000 and they get the information. Turns out she's in Canada. That's not the only information that's brought forth that day. While Elliot and Dory were trying to get the $5,000 from Chantal's parents just in case the bribery attempt didn't work, they discover that Keith was never hired by the parents. So who is he? The gang figure he is probably someone hired by the cult to keep an eye on them and find Chantal. Dory gives Keith a false lead to Miami so that her and her friends have enough time to save Chantal before he catches on. They find out where she's been hiding... But on the road trip, Drew figures out that Dory cheated, and he ponders something out loud. He says, I don't know, honestly, if you're just now becoming a terrible person, or you've always been terrible and I couldn't see it. 
But whether she was always terrible or just terrible now, there is no denying that she is terrible. Anyway, while they're at the house that Chantal is staying at, Portia decides to go off and have a meet-cute with a Canadian man because, let's be honest, she's too good for these people. Drew goes for a walk because who could stand being around Elliot and Dory and Elliot takes a call from his agent outside because he is the worst. So Dory is left inside by herself when Keith breaks down the door. He finds her and asks her why she was lying to him and she reveals that she knows that he isn't who he says he is. Things turn violent and Drew comes to the rescue and kills the guy. Just at that moment, Portia comes home with her new beau and guess who? It's Chantal! Dory begs Chantal to tell her harrowing story. But it turns out she was just being a mopey dickhead who couldn't deal with her married boyfriend not wanting to leave his wife and kids. So she packed her bags and had a very elaborate temper tantrum. That's it. Everything else that was a part of this story was pure coincidence or a fabrication from Dory's mind. None of it mattered. But what does matter is that Keith is dead and Drew, Elliot and Dory have blood on their hands. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I'm just going to preface this segment um, by saying this might be a little bit quicker than normal. We like to luxuriate with our deep dives, but I'm kind of half dying. I might cough up a lung if we keep going for too long. So if this is a slightly truncated deep dive discussion. I apologize for that in advance. Um, the way I wanted to start this little discussion was just by saying everything is awful. And that's sort of the tone <laughs> Of this entire show. Let's... Is there specific things, Damask? Obviously, you struggle with this a lot more than I did. Yeah. Um, what, what there, was, there was... I think there was a moment you said you had to stop because mm. it was just getting too much for you. Do you remember what that moment was? Yeah, it was the scene where Dory decides to uh, sleep with Keith. That was just right. so awful to me. It that was, was just, that was just awful. Yeah, it was. It's just, I mean, she's already proven herself to be incredibly selfish. To, and I, you know, I don't think they're right for each other. I don't think they should be together. And Drew sure. says that at the end of the season, which is great. Um, but yeah, up until that point, they'd been having pretty much the same conversation in which he's like, you know, I don't want you to be doing this anymore. Like, I'm worried about you. It's taking over your life. You're changing. It's freaking me out. Uh, and she just ignores him. She doesn't, um, She yeah, she doesn't take him seriously. She doesn't listen to him. And then to do this thing that he already doesn't want her to be doing and then to cheat on him. I was just mm-hmm. like, fuck, I'm done. Like, I just had to stop. I'm like, that's so upsetting. And, and I knew it was coming, obviously, because, you know, that neighbour is in the apartment with him. And as soon as he was like, no, you have to leave, I was like, well, okay, well, that means she's going to cheat on him because they can't both make the right decision, certainly not in a show like this. Um, and it was upsetting. It was very upsetting to watch. Do you, do you know how I knew that that was going to happen? How? Because I accidentally watched episode eight before I watched episode seven. (laughs) It was one of those things where I'm like, I'd stopped, I came back to it and I like clicked through the wrong one. Mm. I was watching it and I was like, oh yeah, I wasn't having struggling with it at all until she mentioned to Elliot that she'd slept with Keith. I'm like, wait, what? Did that happen (laughs) off camera? And then I went back and went, no, I skipped episode seven, you idiot. And then watched the whole episode like that. Um, Mm. Yeah, this is a series 
of just a long list of awkward, unnerving situations and interactions. And as they escalate, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, it's hard to explain. I guess I was along for the ride with it. But let's talk about Dory in depth since we're there. Mm-hmm. I think the the best line in the show that really explains Dory is the one that comes from Drew at the when they're having that fight outside the car on their way to Montreal. Yeah. I don't know if you're just now becoming a terrible person or if you've always been a terrible person and I just couldn't see it. Mm. Because it's interesting the way they set up the show. My notes in like episode one are that I don't like Drew. I look at Drew and my impression is this guy's a nothing. He is mm. sort of self-involved and has nothing to offer. And Dory, mainly just because she's sort of the straight one, straight sort of character, the, the straight man, I guess. She's the obviously the focus of the show and... Maybe just because I like Alia Shawkat as well to some degree, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, you're the person that I should be following here. You're the person who has the drive to do something mm. in this. But, of course, as the show goes on, <laughs> we learn that she is awful and is doing awful, awful, awful things. And yeah, I, I think it was in episode three when they go to the vigil. Yes. And all of her friends are like, you do not speak to the mother. Please don't do that. That's such a bad idea. And it shows just how little sense she has. Um, that made me go, oh, yeah, no, I think you're just a bad, selfish person. The- um, so it started there, I think, for me. But I did find that episode quite funny. So I was like, oh, okay, like the it, the balance was still there at that point. And then obviously as as it goes on, the the balance shifts because I thought Dory was going to be yeah like you said um the straight man perhaps the audience surrogate in a lot of ways you yeah. know, she's surrounded by these crazy characters and then as it go- goes on she becomes a crazy character uh which makes me yeah ask the question that Drew does at the end is like were you always terrible um or have you just become terrible through the situation it's it's that bit at the the vigil, I think for me, I was sort of just, um, there was a lot of things going on there because I, 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 I felt like I understood what she was doing and why. I thought it was coming from a good place still. When she was approaching the mum or mm. wanting to approach the dad with this information, she was doing it because she'd already gone to the police and the police didn't seem to want to believe her or do anything about that. Mm. She was trying to give them hope, we thought. Like that was her motiva- her big motivator. Um. So I wasn't, it wasn't until much, much later, particularly when she started doing like the diagram on the wall, Mm. that for me, when it was becoming obsessive and when her fixation, when she started cheating on Drew with Keith is when it really broke down for me, definitely. What do you think about Drew as a character? I think I agreed with you um, at, at the very beginning because we have that scene where she, you know, she doesn't get that job and she leaves and she just needs a moment to herself and he is just all over her trying to solve the problem, getting in her face and doing the exact opposite of what she's asking him to do and kind of crossing that boundary for her. And I was like, oh, this guy is annoying. He's suffocating. Ugh. Yeah, and also I think because I liked Alia Shawkat as well and because I thought she was going to be our straight man, our audience perspective. Um, so I, di- I didn't like Drew. As it went on, I felt bad for him, but I was also annoyed at the fact that 
he and Dory continued to have the same conversation over and over again, which became very frustrating, made me think less of him, made me think less of her, which was, please don't do this. Oh, no, everything's fine. Everything, think, everything's fine. Please don't do this. No, everything's fine. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, yeah, it was annoying to me. Their relationship was annoying to me. Yeah, he's, um, like you said, in that first episode when she's telling him to shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I love that scene, actually. It was going to be I one of my side great. notes, how mm. much I love that scene. Now, I think I've, like, been Drew in that in that <laughs> scenario, you know. I'm trying to, like, I think I'm trying to help my girlfriend, but I'm probably just getting in the way and being annoying and making it worse at the time. Yeah, I've definitely been Dory in that situation. Right, sure. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and the thing with Drew is... Yeah, no, I still don't love him by the end of it, but I have a lot more sympathy for him as it Mm -hmm. went along. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly because he had an opportunity to cheat on Dorian, didn't, chooses not to. And he is trying to escape at the end, but also, like he said, he's known for a while they shouldn't be together. I think that's the thing about his character. He's sort of more just more more pathetic. He's less awful and more just... He is so pathetic in like his jealousy at the potential of Dory cheating on him, but also too pathetic to break up with her, even though he said for a while he doesn't think they belong to be together. There's a sadness and a patheticness to them that makes him unlikable, but mm-hmm. I don't hate him. No, by the end I, of it. I, I don't hate him either. And I think his relationship with Dory also kind of connects with his relationship with his job as well. And I think it's really, uh, you know, indication of who the character is in which he doesn't really seem to care all that much about his job. He's always on the phone and stuff until his boss is like, oh, well, like, what if I fire you? And he just breaks down and then he seems to care about it. I think this is the kind of guy that just kind of goes along with things, doesn't want to cause a ruckus, um, but also is somewhat apathetic to a to a lot of what is happening in his life until something is in his face saying, well, that's going to be taken away from you. Then he cares. Yeah. So Elliot was the other character you had a huge problem with. Mm. Um, Explain your issues with Elliot to me. I did find Elliot funny quite a a bit. I mean, particularly in the vigil episode when the acapella group is singing and he's just repeating no because they're singing since you've been gone. Which is, that is very the funny. opposite of the song that you should be singing at a vigil for someone who has gone missing. It's all about you since know since gone, yeah since you've been gone gentle. things have gotten things have gotten better for <laughs> for me. You should not be singing that at a missing person's vigil. Uh, and I, you know there were moments like that that I really enjoyed his sense of humour. He almost has because um, obviously I've been watching Kimmy Schmidt this week. He's got a bit of Titus and uh, Andromedon mm. Andromeda Andromeda uh, about Titus. Him. We'll call him Titus. Um, about him, in which he is this very selfish, self-absorbed gay man who it's all about him and his purpose and his passion. Uh, and then people should always have their attentions on him. So I I thought expected to like him or at least like laugh at him, enjoy his character more than I did. But I think the thing that really upset me and made me go, nah, I'm done with you, was his relationship with his on-again, off-again boyfriend. The way he treated him was so awful that made me go, dude, fuck you. Like, I'm not interested in any kind of story that you have to tell. Elliot is essentially a villain. But what I like about Elliot as the villain, it's he's sort of the ghost of 
Dory's future in, in some ways. Mm. He represents what she has the potential to become. Mm-hmm. I don't think Dory is there at the start of this. I do think that she probably was always an awful person, but she is lent into that awfulness as she's gone along. Certainly, the example becomes when, when she does sleep with Keith, or and then later, even after she slept with Keith, and she's just stayed at his place and just lost track of time. Mm-hmm. She goes to Elliot and Elliot helps her to lie and really he coaches her on how to handle this situation because he's so goddamn good at it or he's gotten away with it for a long time at least. And there's that scene where she gets back and she's like, what are you talking about? I told you. Like she manipulates totally gaslighting the situation. Him. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? Totally gaslighting him. Gaslighting him, absolutely. And the yeah, exactly what it is. And then just seeing her... Yeah, fulfill that and learn that from Elliot is I think it's really interesting to have him who is entertaining his funniness but is obviously a terrible person and to see Dory getting closer and closer to that. And the thing that's really important for me, I think, is that ending. We've spent this whole thing watching Elliot have this fake story about his battle with cancer, but also developing this ridiculous charity, which is so silly. This idea that for every water bottle they sell, they're gonna give one to, you know, Kids in need or kids in places Africa. in Africa, all right. Yeah. Which, as the woman says at the uh, vigil or wherever it is, <laughs> so well, funny. isn't that the problem's really more to do with the lack of water, not the lack of water bottles, right? <laughs> and that, to me, though, speaks to this fay, this sorry, faux charity idea that he's got going on. This need to use these charities to build his own profile because it's all about him at the end of the day. Similarly, this is exactly what Dory's doing. We find out as we go on. Whether her intentions were ever pure or not, it comes from a place of trying to f- to give herself meaning. The reason she's looking for Chantel has nothing to do with Chantel <laughs> at yeah. all. It's about trying to get out of this nothing relationship she has with Drew, this nothing job she has with um, her boss, this... And nothing's yeah. working for her, so she's trying to find a new path. I was thinking about this show about being, you know, obviously about millennials searching for passion and purpose. And obviously, yep. Dory is clearly without purpose or passion, whether it's in her work or her relationship, just as you said. Elliot, who is incredibly vacuous, and he's after the aesthetics of passion without the substance. He will, He wants purpose for praise, so it's not really any purpose at all. Well put, we, I like that. Yeah, and we have Drew, as I said earlier, who has this career he doesn't seem to care about and you know, he's always on his phone, so he's not very passionate about that. Same with his relationship. We see that in their in the sex scene in the first episode where he's just like jacking off and then comes inside her. Like there's no passion there. I was wondering, were they trying to get pregnant? Like I was just like, That's what, what is I this thought. whole I was like, scenario? Kind of it was very sexual- odd thing is this. I think the only character that I kind of like is Portia. Yeah. Because she does have a passion and she does seem to have a purpose, which is her acting career. She takes it seriously. She and and so we have her having passion and purpose for her her craft, which I like to see, even though she is a bit of a joke and isn't total you know, barely self aware in any sense of the word. Yeah. Um but we also see in another scene when they're at um, Ballow and Hare, a vulnerability there and, yes. and, the, and the sort of self-awareness about her intelligence and how the world sees her. There, I just wanted more moments like that from the other characters as well. I I think they're not there on purpose. Oh, like, I agree. I, think, I agree. 
I think like, it's it's the way the show is meant to be. I'm just saying I don't respond to that. Yeah, sure. Porsche, I was the same. I was as it went along, the more I realized, and the bit at Bella and Hair that you're talking about was the mm-hmm. exact moment. I was like, oh, there's a real something to Portia. She mm-hmm. is vulnerable. That she's sweet, and she, yes, she's obviously a little bit ignorant and sort of like there are. Um, vain in some ways as well, but she's definitely kind of the heart of the show at the end of the day. She's the only one who's, I don't know, has a sweetness or a vulnerability to her that, mm. that's... And, and like you said, the stuff with her and her profession is really interesting. She's obviously, like, it comes from a weird angle sometimes, but it, she obviously does care about her job. She's very passionate about her job. She wants to be good at her job. She, more than anything, just apparently wants um, her mum to to be proud of her, which is really interesting yeah, she, as well. She wants to be seen, which is the same yeah. kind of thing that Elliot has, but he has gone the complete other side of it, um, whereas he's not really willing to do... He doesn't... He's not... Um, he's not risking anything of himself, whereas Portia desperately wants to be seen as well, but she is risking a lot of herself. Clearly, a lot of her self-worth is in what she's doing is in whether or not her mum is going to validate what she's doing. Well, isn't that a really interesting dichotomy, though? When you look at their professions, right? He is working theoretically in, like, charity. Mm. She is working in Hollywood or in acting and television. Hers should be the vain one. His should be the, you know, the the better cause. And yet they're both on the opposite end doing... They're, they're different pe- the wrong people on the wrong mm. side of this. Mm-hmm. That's That puts me in really interesting places because it's so easy early on to see Elliot and Portia together. They live together. They interact a lot together and go, oh, these two are awful people. And then as the show goes on, realize, well, I like Portia. I hate Elliot. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I really like that about it. I'm yeah, fascinated to see where Portia goes next season. I want to know what they have in store for her. I hope they've got more for her to do because she's not really that involved in the narrative. It's just her... This is why I really feel like this season is just the setup in a lot of ways. It gets mm. us to a point where we're going to see things really, really shift. Can I just say I love the scene when Elliot has been found out and he goes to Portia and she yeah. has that beautiful moment where oh, she's talking about her dad and she is so upset. And then she's like, oh, well, if that was all a lie? And he's like, well, is it? And she's like, mm, you'll never know. Like... Oh, no, she's like, is it? Back at him. And it's, it's like that scene was fucking great. Yeah, that is a fantastic scene, mm. right? And do, so if you had more of that, if you had more of someone calling out their shit mm-hmm. and them not getting away with their shit as much, because the other thing that's, that's hard about Elliot and it makes him a great villain is he continues to succeed. Mm-hmm. The idea that he's got a fucking book deal now because of his r- horrible lie mm. about having cancer is infuriating. But for... But, but it, I, I don't know. I guess this is where we had a different experience because I can understand why that's infuriating and turns you off and makes you go, this is a fucking nightmare. For me, I was like, this is obviously this is the show's thesis, right? I'm meant to hate this guy. I'm meant to be infuriated by him. And I was, for whatever reason, okay with going along for the ride mm. with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to say the comment that you made about them succeeding and yeah, I think you're right. I think that is a huge part of the frustration for me because, as we mentioned earlier, shows like Arrested Development are always sunny. They are awful people, but they fail because they get their of their awfulness. Pardon? Yeah, they get they the get come comeuppance. Up. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it was really frustrating for me to watch this show because it goes against 
my sense of right and wrong. It yep. goes against my ideals um, at the very core of me. And it was incredibly frustrating. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I totally understand your frustration. I don't think it's misplaced at all. It probably just speaks to you being too nice, too good a person, too <laughs> much the optimist, too caring, to let that go. Maybe I I've think- let uh, Leslie Nope be absorbed into my soul a little too much for me to enjoy this show. Maybe. It's funny, there was, when we were talking earlier about, like, toxic fandoms, people asking, like, what fandoms are left that aren't toxic? And and actually, Arrest Development, uh, not sorry, Arrest Development, um, uh, Parks and Rec came up. Mm. I'm like, maybe, because, you know, Leslie Nope is at the centre of that. It's hard mm. to ignore that. Yeah, you look at the values of the, sh- of the show. That's like, and it's so there for you to see, and it is, it's teaching you things about the value of goodness, the value of optimism. Mm. I, if you ask me, though, Star Wars is about intrinsically good versus evil, like diversity versus fascism, mm. and but I, somehow people have ignored that. Unfortunately, because there's so much in Star Wars in the sense of like you've got lightsabers and you've got spaceships and all this stuff that people can kind of attach themselves to that like, oh, that's a co- that's the cool element that sometimes the the ideals within that are instilled in the piece can be lost or forgotten or not even acknowledged really um, or analysed by the viewer. They can just be lost in like the the wonder of the story. Whereas in Parks and Rec, we're in, you know, a government office (laughs) with a group of people. Totally. Um, It'd be like somebody coming away from Parks and Rec and thinking that Jean Ralphio was the hero of that story somehow. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the whole millennial angle they've got going on here. This is very much a show about 20 to 25 something sort of our age group, Mm. which there's this idea of millennials being like the avocado on toast, you know, somehow for some reason lazy and like, um, living off their parents and not having any ambition and stuff like this. Does this speak to you in any way as a, as a... Uh, examination of that idea as a portrait of that or as a breakdown of that idea is there anything there for me I feel like it's more of a setting I don't think it's necessarily saying anything specifically about millennials but maybe just using the the tropes almost of like what a millennial is to tell a different story mm. yeah I think I expected it to say something about it because I think Elliot is the the most extreme version of what a lot of people see as a millennial, he... As that caricature of what yeah, I Yeah, absolutely. Like that, yeah. So, I think I expected them to say something about it. They didn't, which is fine. They absolutely don't have to. Uh, but, no, I agree with you. I, do, I don't think they were they were saying anything. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed with that too. I, but, again, I think the thing... I think this is going to be my pitch to you to do season two because I understand if you don't want to do season two. My pitch is I think the story is only just beginning. I think that if they are going to say anything... It comes later. This was the end of Act 1, right? Where it ends with the death of Keith is where the real shit starts. Because mm. the Chantel stuff is done, right? This isn't this isn't um, Pretty Little Lies where the mystery of A goes Chantal, on forever. Chantal, by the way. I fucking hate what? that name. Chantal. Chantal, sorry. Chantal. This isn't something like that which is going to be dragged on forever, right? That was just to get us to this point. To have Drew and Dory be at this plot in their relationship, to have this happen with Keith, and to see what happens next. I think I'm I've, I'm excited by that. But anyway, you said you like the writing. Yeah, one of the I thought, things. That, 
I thought it was really sharp. I thought a lot of the dialogue was incredibly sharp, quick-witted. Um, not, I mean, I would prefer it to be funnier to kind of counteract the horror show that I'm having to to watch. Sure. Uh, but yeah, and I think the the plot of it is really cool. It, it it reminded me of you know I'm like oh this is Pretty Little Liars for people who are really kind of sardonic and sarcastic and people who critique media more than you know your Pretty Little Liars your average Pretty Little Liars viewer ever would and because they kind of comment on the ridiculousness of the premise in when Portia is speaking to the writer of her tv show and she's like oh if you were writing a tv show would you have the person be alive at the end he's like well if it's a good tv show no you wouldn't I thought that was really important that line by the end of the show like it's it got back to this ultimate thesis of itself of what mm. he was trying to do when it turns out that it was just some ridiculous, <laughs> silly moment that left yeah. this stupid blouse. And that was really important that mm-hmm. moment for me. Yes. Yeah. I, I think this this show is very clever, and I don't want to discount that at all. I I think it has had for me the potential to be something really great. It just never got there for me for all the reasons that I mentioned before. But I and I can understand why people would love this show, would think it's one of the best things they've seen in a really long time, that it really speaks to them. Um, yeah, I think it is – it's really smart. It's really well put together. It's wonderfully performed. The writing is great. All of that stuff, all of that good stuff is absolutely there. The thing for me that I liked about the writing, the word I use is tight in the sense that it's 10 episodes, they're 20 minutes or so each. The thing that I noticed right at the end though, is if you look back, there is not a beat or a moment or an interaction that is wasted. Mm-hmm. Every single one comes back to be important in some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's finding out that some things were were red herrings, but that's important too. Um, but that's part also of the genre, be- yeah. Oh, so for instance, the stuff with the guy, I can't remember who he is, that approaches Portia at the um, at the memorial or whatever you want to call the it, vigil. the vigil, and gives her his her card, right? Mm-hmm. Gives him her card. And then Drew later saw him on the subway taking up skirt photos. And then that thread is left, but they come back to it later. And it's really important to the plot mm. in terms of getting the money and stuff. Like that's a really sort of great way of getting there. Whether it's the the stuff with who was pregnant and whatnot, how they got the necklace, everything is set up and clued in and nothing nothing is wasted. Nothing is left. Every character that's important is, is or suggested to be important has a role to play. Mm-hmm. And all of it is, is addressed except for kind of like, is there more to the cult that has nothing to do with Chantal? But is there more to the cult that we might find out about next season? By the way, Parker Posey... <laughs> Love that she was uh, yeah. like brick. This. Amazing. Oh, per- perfect casting. Yeah. I would join your cult, Parker Posey. You're the perfect sort of person for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I just, I thought the, the it was a very tightly written little narrative. Not in, That's even before getting to dialogue and jokes and stuff like that. Just very economical and made sure it didn't waste anything. I really mm. appreciate that yes. as well. Agreed. Agreed. Comedy wise, you said there wasn't a lot in there for you or you, you thought it would be funnier. I thought but it'd did be you have- funnier, yeah. To the, the, the for me, the balance was off between yeah. the awfulness and the times that I was actually laughing or finding something funny. Sure. 
Would did you have moments though that stood out for you as being funny? Like we've already talked about the acapella group Coral Fixation, which is a great name. <laughs> great name. So and they're seeing you since you've been gone, Chantal. Um, the I there was little things in there that I liked. I like when that early on in like episode one or two, the four of our main characters sitting at the coffee shop, Drew leaves, and then Dory leaves, and Elliot's just like, did they? Do they pay for their drinks? <laughs> I was just like, because I was wondering that too. It's like, they just walked out without paying. Mm. Um, I love the the weird Lolita hellscape thing that was going on. The like weird bunnies, the the Chantal's oh, the ex-housemate. Mm. That was odd and funny to me. I really enjoyed that. I liked- That was odd. I didn't find it funny though, but yeah. I liked when Dory was exploring- Chantal's room. Oh, I like, love that bit. Yeah. That subversion of what the, we expect is going to happen there and to go in and go, oh, what are you doing in my room? Is really funny to me. Exactly. And that's the what bit th- even with when um, they've got, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chantal's ex-boyfriend over, whose name I can't remember all of a sudden. I think like Gavin or something. Gavin or something with G. And when she's copying all his emails or sending the emails to herself and her phone keeps going off. I thought it was just really, like, clever, really in, like, oh, that's exactly what would happen and that would be really awkward and mm. little things like that to me just, I don't know, gave it just the right amount of comedic edge for me. Yeah, but- I, I enjoyed the, yeah, the bit in Chantal's sister's room. Um, that's the thing, like, I, 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 I was in for probably the first four episodes. So, yeah. like, those moments, like, in the at the vigil and stuff, uh, yeah, were, were funny to me. I, I could laugh at them. But, yeah, no, not enough. It wasn't – and, yeah, as we went on, it just seemed to be, like, less jokes. Or maybe I was just so disconnected from it at that point, I just couldn't even recognise them when I saw them. I think the humour gets – if there's any humour, it gets darker and darker and darker and darker. Like, you've got people – a woman who sort of got um, ripped apart by her <laughs> – the leader of her cult. I hated that. I fucking hated that scene. I hated Why it. did you- because I just—I was so angry that they're all just sitting there watching this girl be shamed in such an awful way. Like it—it it bothered me so much. Like it, I mean, like, it's, it's meant to. You're I not- know, but the thing is, like, okay, so if we have this really kind of oppressive, cold, mean universe, I want my comedy to be a relief, but. The comedy in this is just adding to the oppressiveness, to the coldness of it. It's just heaping on top of me. That it's like, oh my god, is that meant to be a joke? Because it well, feels the same way that all the dark scenes feel. The the later we see her, that she's left scrubbing the floors of the toothbrush, which is a which is a place straight out of Scientology, by the way. That's something they mm. totally got people to do mm-hmm. from Sea Org when they were like put like they were in trouble. That's what they had to do. Watch um going clear, everybody. By the way, it's on Netflix, I believe, at the moment. Yeah, Great really documentary. Good. Um, what did you think of the scene? I can't remember the, the character's name. The woman who approaches Dory in like episode one or two and says that she's seen Chantal as well, like the crazy oh, woman, Lorraine. Right? Lorraine. And Rosie when Perez. she goes to her old work, when Dory goes to her old workplace and they found out she died because- oh, I'm so glad you can you see you shaking up. your head. I'm so glad what you was that, sorry? I'm so glad you brought this up because this is a perfect example of what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. So this is the universe that our characters live in, in which someone who is clearly mentally ill- has died, most likely in a suicide. I mean, she's, you know, walked in front of a train and they are laughing. They are hysterically laughing as though it's the funniest thing they've ever heard. 
There's nothing funny about that scene to me. Not even in the absurdity of it. I'm just like, this is fucked. Like, why? I don't want to be here. I don't want to be around. Like, and everyone in this universe is like that. No one gives a fucking shit except for Portia. Like, it's awful. I hate it. I hate it so much. Can you tell? No, I, like, are you, you're right to hate it. It's, it's just, it, it has to come down to taste because I also hated those women, but was like, this, I know people who would be like this. And they. What? Who are you hanging out with, Brod? There, there would totally be women, who, that, men as well. There would be people in the world who, when someone has been alienated from their life, that like they have othered her so much, right? These are mm. awful people. I'm not saying they're good people. Yeah, no, but I, these know, are, I know. There are awful people who would absolutely have that reaction, who would, someone would make, say something that's maybe even meaning to just sort of lighten the mood, Right but ends up really being awful and starts a cascade of laughter. I think that's that it's it's a guilty weird reaction but it's totally one that people would have. There was another scene. Oh, yeah, I, no, I'm sorry. If I had a sense in that scene that their laughter was coming from a place of being uncomfortable with the situation, sure. That for me, that's not what I saw at all. No, no, I saw I th- people I th- taking glee in the fact that this person was so fucked up that they died. Yeah, no, I think you're. Mm, I don't know if the, the glee necessarily came from that she was dead. I don't think they really wished she was dead, but they had obviously built a connection around othering this person, and mm. this was just like the last version of this for them. Mm. Um, which is still awful. That's not excusing the behaviour at all. I don't think it was glee at her death, but it was we've been telling this joke about this woman forever. And then, like, maybe in, a, in some sense, they just, yeah, they found a way to make something fu- something awful funny. And that's not funny to me, but it was, there was something about that observation that I found interesting or engaging to some degree. There was other little things as well. Something I actually liked about this show is that nearly, there's, everyone's a character. There are no parts in this show that they don't have something to them, whether it's the woman who's obsessed with apes or whether it's um, Drew's dad who's got this weird thing about mentioning the waitress every 10 seconds. He's got this weird, like, flirty relationship with the waitress at the mm. hotel. Or whether it's Drew's, like, sister-in-law, I think it is, who is just wants to know that Dory actually doesn't hate them yeah. sort of thing. Like everyone ha- is a character and everyone's going to hang up and everyone's got something. Not every show does that. It's easy to just have like cardboard cutouts in the background and just serve their purpose. Yeah. Something I really appreciate the show yeah, is everyone was- Like you said earlier, voice. praising the tightness of the script. That's absolutely a, pa- a part of it. Very yeah. hard to do. Very rare for scripts to do that. Um, yeah, like full respect for that. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I think one of the be- the easiest things you can do to do that is just make everybody horrible in some degree. So, make everybody either broken or awful or whatever it is. Did you have any other thoughts about the ending, about how that goes down with the Keith knocking his head on the side? Of the- I was like, fuck, straight away. As soon as he hit his head <laughs> on the table, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Then when he was getting up, I was like, that's interesting. And then- when Drew came in and Susie picked up that obelisk thing, I was just like, this is going to be bad. I thought just- the ending was great. I'm, oh, so I was like, good. The fact that we have Chantal, who everything is fine, actually. Yeah. 
but we also know that Drew, Dory and Elliot have committed or at least helped commit or have witnessed um, murder. Things have gotten real. So we juxtapose the relief, the anticlimax of knowing that, oh, nothing really happened with Chantal with the, oh, things are actually real now and there is no ifs or buts or mystery around the real drama now. It's an actual thing. I think that is a really cool thing to do. Do I wish that I cared at that point? Absolutely. But I think it's a fucking cool ending. I think it's fantastic. With that, let's end our deep dive and get into final thoughts. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes at all, Damask? No, I've, I've, I've mentioned them all. I've got a couple. Um, the, the detective from the show that Portia is in, is, that, is it Fig? Is that her name yeah. from Orange is the New Black? Mm-hmm. With an English I, accent. Well, I love that she has an English accent when she's not in the show. That her as an as a in real life in the yeah. show, she is uh, she's English because isn't that how all of those shows, procedural like cop drama shows, are either English or Australian actors who have come <laughs> over to play these American characters? It's always the case. That's very true. Well, I was just trying to figure out the title of the show. It's like Escaping or Surviving Essex or something. Yeah, so something like, like is that. Is her character meant to be? Oh no. Anyway. Anyway. I love the video of Chantal that's found on Facebook as her doing the ice book challenge, the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. That made me laugh a lot. Just yeah. thought that was because that, that, that would be true. That would be something that you could have access to that would be public on her Facebook page. Yeah, absolutely. I like that as well. And the guy, do you remember the guy in the bit around the table at the cult? Right, the bit you, the scene you hated with because that woman was being shamed. There was the guy who was expressing like the one that was sitting next to Portia. Mm. who was talking about how he's got these violent thoughts about beating women and stuff like that. And then it turns into because they won't sleep with him. I was like, oh my God, this was an incel conversation the entire time before mm. even incel was like a known thing. It was a big discussion <laughs> going on the internet. Search party was already talking about incels because yeah. this fucker. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Um, do you have a favorite and least favorite episode or least favorite episode first, Damask? Uh, all of the whole them? show. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, it would be episode eight, the return of the forgotten phantom. Right. Watching Dory do something so soul crushing to another person, and then cover it up with the help of her narcissistic friend was beyond upsetting. I hated it. I had to pause it and take a moment. I didn't want to finish it. Um, and then watching Elliot get back together with his ex, which was also something that really disturbed me and I hated that relationship Um, and he was getting back together with him to somehow absolve himself of the terrible things he'd done like I was just I was disgusted at that point and I get why it's not a bad episode it's just my least favorite totally um my least favorite episode was also episode eight the return of the forgotten phantom Mm. Not for the same reasons at all, though. <laughs> no, I Actually, didn't the think things so. you mentioned are sort of the things that were the most interesting to me about it. For me, and this is because I didn't find there were any particularly bad episodes at all, but I thought that this is where the story or the narrative thrust stopped a little bit for good reason. It took a breath to do this these bits with Drew and um, Dory and with Elliot and so forth and sort of just go back to a character place before they 
springboarded into the finale of the last two episodes. But it's sort of like what happened with Barry for me, where that was that episode with Tyler in that, not to spoil um, Barry at all. But I found that bit just like, it just, you can feel the brakes pump on for a second. Mm-hmm. And just because of it, because of that, I was slightly less engaged through moments of this. It's a nothing reason. I, I was grasping at straws to find a reason to dislike an episode at all. So that's mine. What about your favourite episode? Uh, for a long time, it was going to be episode three, which is like the vigil one, because yes. I, you know, there's lot, lots of moments in that episode that I found really funny. The the scene with Dory going to the bedroom, trying on the sweater. Like we've all seen that scene before. Yeah. And then in to, Riverdale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no and grandma then, in the corner in this one though. Yeah. And then to subvert that, I thought that was really funny and cool. Uh, but then I, I think I've got to give it to the final episode. A, a lot of things are brought to the forefront. We have Drew finally confront Dory. The um, the end of their relationship. I love Portia that she's just kind of like, I'm going to go out on a date. And I thought her scenes were really cute. Um, I, I loved, loved her meeting. Was his name? It wasn't Michael. It was oh, um, Matthew. Matthew. Yeah. And their little meet cute in the streets. Yeah, <laughs> and good. I also like the scene... Um, when they're in like the coffee shop or whatever, and they're like drawing out, like trying to make connections, like a bunch of idiots with yes. crayons. And I yeah, love Porsche's really line of like, "We've got crayons and we're smart, like we can figure it out." I thought that was really sweet. And also, I think the ending is really fantastic. I think it's such a strong way to finish season one. So yeah, it'd be the final episode. The 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 bit I like about that as well when she goes, she sees like the the matchsticks from the bar yeah, when she's on the phone. Yeah, and it's like, let's meet there, and that's where she finds her. And it's just like, by complete fucking accident, just by happenstance, the thing she was looking at when she was on the Mm. phone to this guy she just met is how she meets, finds Chantel. And can I just say, that actress, I think, is superb. She is so wonderful. As Portia. As Portia. I I agree. I think she's great. Mm -hmm. All the way through it. 100% agree. I could very easily give it to episode 10. Mm-hmm. As well. I'm going to give it to episode six, though, The Secret of the Sinister Ceremony. This is a trend I'm finding. It's the episodes where I feel like I'm really drawn into the story, and the episodes where I feel like I'm just a little bit pushed away are the ones I find my favorite and least favorite. For me, The Secret of the Sinister Ceremony, which is the cult one, was just where I was really interested in what was going on. This world was really strange and weird. I was really invested in the show at this point, enjoyed the culty stuff. I even enjoyed the bits with Drew and his family. I don't know. I was just like, I felt like I was in to the show at that point. So, I'm, I'm giving it to that. But episode 10, like you said, excellent ending. I think I could give it to that as well. Do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns going into next season, Damask? Um, I, if, if I have to watch it, my concern is that it's the same experience for me. Okay. That there is no comeuppance. So, I think that would be hard to do considering the way that it ended. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess now they've uncovered a crime or they were trying to uncover a crime. I guess the second season would be them trying to cover one up. But yeah. that's about it. What about you? Yeah, I think exactly what you said. My expectations are just based on that. Like I said, for me, I'm excited about going forward because it's felt like, okay, act one's over. Let's enter act two and actually see what this story is going to be about long term. We've set everything up. Everyone's where they're meant to be. Now, let's let's see it play out. So, let's have the discussion then. <laughs> now, you're, you are 
you could very easily say, let's not do season two. And I would 100% be fine with that, especially because we're not doing Riverdale season two, because I don't feel like there's a whole lot that I feel like can be gained from that. And even you think that's not necessarily going to be great for me, necessarily. Mm. You struggle with this show, and I do not want to force you to watch something you don't want to watch, or you think it's going to be a bad experience. (laughs) My only sort of appeal to you is that because of where the show ends... I think, like you just said, that there's likely to be a lot more of what you're after. I don't know if it'll get funnier, but I think maybe you'll get to see these characters struggle and pay for their who they are and their actions in season two. Are you willing to give it a go or would you rather not do uh, it and do something else? I'll, I'll give it a go, but yep. with the proviso that if, like... At any point, I mean, obviously, if I'm like three quarters of the way through, I can't pull the plug. But if I'm like three episodes in and I don't want to continue, that we have a backup plan. Okay. How about this? If I don't want to finish it, I'm not going to finish it. How about this? If you start a little bit before me, mm-hmm. so before we meant to do it in a couple of weeks, which would be the natural time to do it because we're going to do Killing Eve next week, start it, get a couple of episodes in and you can let me know if we should do it or not. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. Let's do that. All right, and you can pull the plug. You don't have to finish it if you don't want to. Thank you. Cool. Uh, yeah, awesome. I've got to. I've got to have some self care, as as the kids say on the internet. I think that's important. <laughs> I think that's really important. I don't want you to watch something if you don't want to watch it. It's obviously been affecting you. I hope, based on how this season ended, that you're going to get better for you. With that, wow, what an interesting discussion that was. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can tweet us at huntingscast. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, where today I've been uh, demonstrating my disappointment with the Mortal Engines trailer and disappointment at Star Wars fandom. And guys, if you don't like something... Just pretend it didn't happen. That's my advice to Mask. Yep. But if you do like something, let the people know. Exactly. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. On Twitter today, I was just talking about Mortal Engines. I was fucking furious. <laughs> it's a great series of tweets. I highly recommend people go and check them out. Just on top of the whole, if you like something, express your like for it. If people are getting you down, block them. Just yes. fucking forget about don't them. Engage. It's not if worth someone- it cannot have a civil discussion with you. You don't need them on your feed. Just block. Just block, block them block, out. Block, block. There's, um, there's a guy on Twitter who, I, this is bad, I might bring it up in another episode, but he has this amazing thing he's done. He's put out these like trolley um, tweets ca- occasionally about how much he likes The Last Jedi, which <laughs> always gets the attention of the people who hate it. And every time they do, he just uses it as a way of blocking everybody. So he just keeps <laughs> testing the waters every week or so. He'll do another tweet like this. I love it. And he's like, like fishing. That's so He's funny. like fishing to block them out so he can just have the discussion without being interrupted. Yeah. And it's like his algorithm is working. He just sort of like baits them in, blocks and blocks and blocks them, baits and blocks, baits and blocks, until he doesn't have to worry about those idiots anymore. Mm. It's really fucking hilarious to watch it happen too. It's, it's, it's so much it. fun. Thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws, for his logo and design work. Thank you to Jordan Calavis for our theme song and Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. Find links to their work in our show notes. If you enjoy what we're doing here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. If you also, uh, we'd also appreciate, sorry, 
your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and now on Spotify Woo-hoo. or whatever podcast podcast platform you prefer. Next week, we'll be back to discuss Killing Eve Season 1. I'm very much looking forward to this. You're a big Phoebe Waller-Bridge fan. Oh. Is it Waller-Bridge? Yeah. Got sure that right? right? Good. I think um, right. Oh, geez. You've watched Fleabag. I have not yet. It's amazing. It's yeah, so good. Yeah, I wouldn't mind into that one day as well. Mm-hmm. That's quite an easy watch too, isn't it? It's like it's six short easy. episodes. Yeah. And... The only thing I've really seen her in that I'm aware of is L3 in Solo, which she was quite good in that, I thought. Right. So Haven't seen it. No but I keep hearing amazing things about Killing Eve, so looking forward to that. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. I think this has been short enough. We'll add our Star Wars uh, Last Jedi discussion from a previous recording into the end of this. So keep listening past the outro theme song if you want to hear that. We will see you next week. Bye for now. Bye. So I watched The Last Jedi with you, like midnight screening, um, and I remember walking out of that and thinking, I'm actually confused about what my reaction is to this film. Yes. Um, and I knew that I would have to watch it a second time, but I had not done that until actually last night when I was Ooh, okay. with my housemate who hadn't seen it yet, and we watched it. And? And I was sitting there and I was like, hmm... Yeah, no. I I mean, I am not shitting on the film. I am not saying it's a bad film, but I do not enjoy it. Right. I don't care about any of the characters to a great deal. Like, I, I, yeah, no, I, I don't care, which is strange because in the first film, I was very much invested in Ray and Finn and then in this second film, certainly when it comes to Finn, I Finn, just Finn became in struggles. entirely disinterested. He was so boring. He was so one note to me. Um, you know, when they go to the casino, I just don't care. I really don't like that new character. I don't even know her name, but I, I just don't enjoy it. I mean, I like where we go at the end of mm-hmm. that film. Um, I think that's kind of exciting, but... That film as a whole, I t- yeah, no, it, it just doesn't do anything for me whatsoever. So right, it's not really about yeah. the news you gave me, but that's my latest. No, no, that's Star interesting Wars though. News. The um, because that's obviously been a lot of conversation around episode eight, and there has been um some vocal backlash to that to that movie. Um, some pretty ridiculous backlash as well. I think. Yeah, but, I mean, no, I don't want to that- add. Um, noise into that discussion because that's not what I'm speaking to at all. No, you know, the, the I'm I don't think I don't consider myself an entitled fan. I don't think that creatives owe me something because I have liked something since I was a child. But just me as like an adult viewer, a lot of the things in that film um, felt overtly juvenile in quite a Disney-esque way that kind of made me go, oh, I'm sure kids would love this. Me as an adult, I, do, I, do, I don't like it. It looks seems cheap to me and, I, yeah, I'm not a fan. Can, can I guess you're talking one about the 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 sequence with on the back of like the big racing dog things? Yeah. As being one uh-huh. of those things. Absolutely. And maybe the other one is the final shot of the film? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I I think a lot of um and there's just like big moments that make me as an adult makes me go that doesn't make any sense. 
Get, what, let, what you're doing right now? Spoiler talk for Last Jedi. It's been out for six months <laughs> nearly now. Can you be specific as to anything in particular? Um, so her name's Rose. Is that right? Rose, yeah. So when she saves, in inverted commas, Finn from sacrificing himself, mm-hmm. and he's like, why would you do that? And she's like, I saved you, you idiot. I'm like, but you didn't know that that was going to happen. It was a huge crash. So instead of like seeing this guy that is nobly sacrificing his life, which your sister did, and I think you understand that, that was for the greater good. No, 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 no. It's, that's where you're wrong, right? Mm. She, the, Her sister w- end, died meaninglessly, right? That's the whole point about her sister's death. Because if fucking, um, what's his name, Poe, hadn't decided to bomb that thing when they could have just gotten away, her sister would still be alive. They he was so hell bent on destroying that stupid juggernaut destroyer, whatever it was, that her sister and a bunch of other people died when they didn't need to, and they were all put at risk because of that that okay. action as well. Sure, you can say that. So, but so in her, that her, same- sacri- her what she's trying to do is prevent that from happening to to her, and sort I of understand stop what that you're cycle saying. Again. I get yeah. it totally. But in that scene, she crashes her oh, yeah. craft into his sure. at such a high speed. So it's like, I don't want you to sacrifice yourself, say, for nothing, so I will kill us both. <laughs> it makes it doesn't make any fucking sense. The, it, it the, really the action me. itself that she took, I understand I can I think that that's you can criticize that for sure. If you want yeah, does that make a whole lot of sense that you would save someone by crashing into them? Probably not. I understand I understand what you're saying. The I mean but what the f- I think I, this is the thing as well. It I also sorry another another well. thing is that yeah good good okay so Poe did you know he he continuously fucks up throughout the film yep and everyone else has to pay the consequence of that yep. constantly which yeah. bothers me to a ridiculous degree it makes me so angry it's like oh now he's a good leader I was like. Uh, but I'm sorry, he didn't suffer any fucking consequences. Everyone else had to die except for him. It's so shit. I just, I didn't like it. Isn't and I that, don't like him and I wanted that to like him. a real lesson though? Like, isn't that just the truth in reality sometimes that the people making the decisions aren't necessarily the ones who are going to... Sure, um, in real life, yeah. Narratively, that that- it's not satisfying. It's not satisfying to me for him to fuck up everyone's plans continuously when they definitely could have got onto that planet undetected by the – it's not the Empire. What are they called? The the First Order, yep. The First Order. That would have worked. But Poe fucked it up by sending those people who then got caught and then, like, it was revealed to the First Order that they were going to the planet. So Poe fucked up that. So many people died – yeah. But he there's no moment of real solid reflection from him going, "Oh my god, what have I done? Because I made that decision, this happened. Oh my god." Like He just sort of takes it in his just stride like, and he, No, he's just like when that, any, yeah. when Laura Dern sacrifices herself. Yeah. He's like, "Wow, she's a really good leader." I'm like, "Uh, you'd know that if you actually learned to follow." You idiot. Anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I walked out of the movie when we saw it the first time feeling the same way. We had a long discussion driving you back to 
fucking bumfuck nowhere L word to <laughs> um, I live closer to the city than you, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> expressing the uh, expressing that my like confusion about how I felt. Like certain scenes really stood out to me as being great. I I still love the bit in the throne room wholeheartedly I love oh, that. Fact, I mean that's I, great. It has some amazing scenes. And I think the Ray and um Kylo Ren stuff, that's still good to me. Like I, I think I think that's that. really juicy stuff there. I really enjoy it. Yep. But the I stuff that's happening with, with the Luke. Rebels. I love what they did with Luke. I, I the whole everything from sort of the, the throne room onwards, I think is the back end of the film I particularly love. Mm-hmm. I agree with you about some of the execution things though. And so the more I've watched it as well, there was I saw it twice more at the cinema and I came to really appreciate the importance of this film in Star Wars because of the way it sort of questioned the things that we've just come to accept as being a part of the mythos, whether that's that only people who are special and born to special families can have the Force or agree at the Force, basically. And mm-hmm. so the decision to make Ray's parents nobody is the best best possible decision that could have mm-hmm. ma- been made Agreed. in this one. Yeah. What they did with Kylo, Kylo and Ray, I love. I love what they did with Luke by having him, like they had to challenge him in a big way and they really, really did. And they give him his own arc in this film beyond just being the hero that everyone loved from the first um, three movies. And then the stuff with Finn and Rose and Poe, I agree with is by far the weakest part of the film and takes up a lot of it because it has to, because so it's very plotty as well. Yeah. And so while that stuff lets it down, it, it doesn't end up being as like fun or entertaining to watch as The Force Awakens or really at least um, A New Hope and Empire from the original trilogy. I still come away from it really glad that it exists because I think it opens a big door for Star Wars going forward in a lot of ways. Well, that's the thing. I'm, of- I'm ex- I acknowledge where we are at the end of that film. And I think that's really important. And I think a lot of the steps that we take in Last Jedi are really good and important steps to take. I think the stuff with Luke, like you said, is fantastic and really important to kind of question the origins of Jedi and what being a Jedi means. Um, I think the relationship between Kylo Ren and Rey is really important. I mean, that scene when he is like, you know, you're still thinking in the past, like we have to let these ideas of, you know, the dark and the light kind of just go when we can start something new together. And on the second viewing, I was like, he's fucking right. Like, I think Well, he's that's, right he's wrong. That's what's really well, yeah. interesting about the whole I mean, thing. It's, is it kind it's of, really complex, yeah. Yeah. it's It, it acknowledges that you you need to... Honor the past, but also not hold one hundred percent faithful to it. That yes. that failure, that the past is helpful because you get to learn from the mistakes of the past as well. And I love that line from Yoda in it that that is our that is our burden, or that is our like to to they have to outgrow us. If we're a good teacher, that's what they do. They mm-hmm. end up better than us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that idea in that while Ray goes off. And is I don't know if you noticed this detail or not. You know how they burn the tree, right? And the books are in the tree. Yeah. And they're talking about how oh, the books aren't important anyway. You know, Luke barely probably ever read them anyway. She actually has the books on board the ship with her. Oh, she took them with her. Right. So when when Yoda says everything that was in that books the girl already has was literal. <laughs> was was it wasn't just like him expressing that she already understands this stuff internally. She. You see a bit when she's first on the ship, just before she gets onto the um, 
Snoke's ship. She closes a drawer and we don't see what's in it. But at the end, someone grabs a blanket out of the drawer and the books are there. Right. And so she she has taken those books. She's going to grow something else, take that knowledge from the past, not completely what abandoning, kill the past like Kylo said you have to do, mm-hmm. but build on top of that um, and hopefully make something that's better. Um, yeah. I just like, and I agree with absolutely like everything you're saying positive about the film I completely agree with I just yeah I, I do think that the Rose Finn stuff that's happening with the Rebels is takes so much time and yes, is sure. to me so subpar and yep. poorly executed and I think a detriment to the characters that we came to really enjoy in the first one um, that it, just, it leaves me feeling really flat and disappointed Poe should have just died in the first film, honestly, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, which was the original plan because there just isn't a whole lot for him to go with. And it's interesting listening to Ryan Johnson talk about how, well, I had to come up with a character arc for him. Like, what's his biggest challenge? And that's this is what he found for Poe. It's like, what else could it be except to just show him that the person he is is not good enough, basically. And he has to grow from that. Anyway, I'll, only last thing I'll it's say about this is- It's a shame that I'll, he grows from others' sacrifice, though, but yeah. Sure, but okay, I guess they're talking about leadership and also just why being the cocky flyboy who is invulnerable is actually a bad thing. Like Han, he's like proto, he's the new Han, right, in a lot of ways. He's an amazing pilot and just seems to be cocky and all those sorts of things and show that we seem to idolize those sorts of characters, but those characters are fucking terrible to the people around them. Like if they 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 can't be leaders and be those people still. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, what I mean to say is if nothing else, I appreciate that this film has lent itself to so much good discussion. What was The Force Awakens about? Do you know what I mean? Apart from just reset, like restarting this franchise and going, it's just like the series you remember. And making you go, and I wonder who's Ray's parents are. Rather than asking, like, what is The Force? What is Star Wars? What is all of this stuff? Anyway. Mm. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. EarbudsNetwork.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.